Come and dream with me. Welcome to What Do You Want to Watch, the Explosion of Wax premier media podcast. Every fortnight we get together to talk about movies, TV, and online content and help you answer the question, do we care about the Golden Globes anymore? Seems like it. I'm your host, Asha Hobley. Joining me today, Dylan Blight. I mean, i got to be completely honest, I forgot they were on and I was home, so I was like just doing something else and I saw on Twitter it popped up and I was like, oh, I could flip that on in the background, I guess. But and then, and then I flicked it on and then I just started paying more attention to it, so I don't know. But What's I thought we cancelled the Golden Globes. Yeah, I guess we did, but then, like... But then they hired a black host, and they were this is all fine. It was okay, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Derek Carmichael. I, I enjoyed his opening monologue, we'll say. Watching it later. And reading some of the comments about it, very interesting. <laughs> Not everyone loved it. Not everybody loved it. Including the president of Hollywood Foreign Press. <laughs> yeah. Who, apparently, according to reports, had to be consoled. <laughs> oh, hilarious alright on today's episode we'll be talking about what's in our watch history uh, covering a tiny bit of film news because this week we're also going to be talking about our tracked year in review give us some thumbs to trailers and doing this week's top 3 it is going to be a mad minute episode because we haven't, been, we haven't done one of these in over a month so Whoa. there's a lot of content to talk about so let's just pump out all the stuff that we've talked about elsewhere Starting with spend an hour spend an hour talking about stuff we talked about elsewhere. Starting with Avatar: The Way of Water. Yes, believe it or not, that came out after our last episode of What Do You Want to Watch? Uh, of course, the James Cameron sequel to 2009's Avatar, in which uh, we return to Pandora. There's more Navi. They're in the water this time. They're space whales. Well, whales in in an, in well, they're not really space whales because they're they're just whales. Not space whales. That's Star Wars Space rebels, to us, so I guess. But yeah, tell them what you think of Avatar World Water. Yeah, it was good. Uh, it, was, it was better than the first one. Uh, I'm, I'm aboard 3D as long as it's just only been whipped out for these Avatar movies. Otherwise, I don't care about it. So I guess that's a positive. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's just it's a cinematic spectacle. And if you don't watch it at cinemas, I feel like there's no point in watching it at all. So watch it at cinema or don't. Or else it's probably just boring at home. <laughs> so I, that's how I feel about that movie. Yeah, I agree as well. I think uh, it's a beautiful movie. Uh, I'm sure it will look all right at home, but you know, it being on the massive screen, seeing the crazy stuff they do, having all these CGI people underwater is crazy. That's how do you do that? Um, yeah, I think the story is probably more interesting. Um, you've got a whole new cast of characters to get attached to. Uh, Stephen Lang is in it <laughs> again. Surprisingly, uh, and it all builds to a fantastic like final act, you know, which is a uh, a lot. I of mean, fun. to be fair, I think last time we recorded these and we were talking about the trailer or whatever, or we did the spoiler cast for yeah. Avatar, I can't remember. But I was like, oh, there's like a running like rumor online that I've seen that people reckon that person in the trailer cr- uh, crushing his skull, Stephen Lang's character, and he's yeah. back as he, as an Avatar. Guess what? He's back in Avatar. <laughs> yeah, do you? Uh, yeah, so. You know, if you haven't already seen it, and there's a pretty good chance you would have, because it's made, it very quickly made over a billion dollars. It's already up to sixth highest all time, I want to say. Um, so <laughs> we're getting more. Why do you think it's just made so much money so quickly? It's like, uh, just, well, didn't especially like when it everything like a, has it. 
It had an okay start, and then much like the last one, I feel like it was that word of mouth that everyone was like, yeah, it's good. Watch it in the cinema. Never went to the cinema. It's true. But yeah, d- don't bet against James Cameron. He just makes bangers. Well, he, yeah. no, he just makes money. So. Are you going to go watch Titanic? No. I think I will if it shows. Yeah? I've never watched Titanic on the, the big screen. On the big screen? So, uh, no. I'd, I'd, I'd like to watch Titanic. Maybe. Yeah. 4K restoration in 3D? I can, I can get there. Uh, next, The Last of Us. Uh, well, by the time this is coming out, the second episode's been released, but uh, the premiere of The Last of Us, released on Binge here in Australia, HBO in America. Of course, this is the adaptation of the uh, beloved Naughty Dog survival zombie game uh, starring Pedro Pascal, Bella Ramsey. Um, just a fantastic first episode. Like, uh, as people who under- have are familiar with the games, it's like they did a fantastic job being very uh, expanding the world um, or expanding the story in certain sections. Um, and yeah, Pedro's great. Bella's great. Anatole's really good. Uh, Nico Parker's fantastic in the part she's in. Um, yeah, they set, kind of set up the series really well. Uh, it looks like they've put a ton of money into it. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, Dylan, what are your thoughts on The Last of Us? Uh, I got my parents to watch it. I didn't tell them it was based on a video game. And then to the opening credits where it said based on a PlayStation game. And I was like, well, okay. And then I felt like that was a little bit like, oh, this is probably going to be bad now. And um, they really liked it. So that's my review. That's just the... the- if you want to hear Dylan's actual thoughts and not his parents' thoughts, well, go I feel like it's a platinum point. explosion. Uh, the number one PlayStation podcast in the Oceanias, uh, and we'll be doing weekly, uh, you know, spoiler discussions uh, of the episodes. So yeah, go check that out in on Platinum Explosion. Weird. Uh, next up, we did a spoiler cast for Megan, the surprise hit of January. Uh, of course, this is the uh blumhouse atomic robot i want to say yep. uh yep, co-picture in which the, uh the a young girl's parents have died she goes to live with her aunt and her aunt has been, been building a robot uh that's supposed to be like a companion to the child who protected and stuff and then shit goes wrong <laughs> tell me what do you think of megan um yeah i think i gave it a six uh i think right um, yeah, it's okay. I, 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 I'm not behind the hype that everyone else is. I think it's got, I think in general that there's a lot of really good stuff in here, but it's just a, a bit of a mixed bag and, um, I'm, I'm down for a sequel to hopefully hone It's in. been confirmed a sequel's coming. Yes, 100%. So I'm down for Megan 2.0 in 2025, I think it was. So, um, yeah, I just yeah. feel like it was a bit of a mixed bag. It wasn't particularly scary. It didn't go enough on either being a comedy horror or a like serious horror so I, I just felt like it was trying to do both and didn't do either as good as it could have if it committed a little bit in one more direction yeah i think it was just like a pretty fun action horror movie uh comedy horror comedy um that was probably more on the comedy side i guess uh it, it got kind of horrific towards the end but um yeah i thought it was, there is some interesting ideas in there uh, Ronnie Chang, our boy, was in it. It was very funny throughout. Um, but yeah, the phenomenon around Megan is like very interesting to watch and, uh, you know, goes to show like viral campaigns still work, um, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I'd be interested to see where they would take a second movie. They obviously very much plant the seeds for what that could be and how that could happen. Um, so, yeah. I think it's worth checking out. Uh, I'll be intrigued. How they how will they do Megan 2? Will they... Because obviously they got a, like, young 12-year-old actress to play Megan. Are they just going to recast? I mean, not, not the voice. Is she going to be older? Right. The voice actress is older. No, but the, like, person, like, in the suit. Yeah. Well, they can they confirmed the uh, uh, Alison Williams and the the girl, but not the Megan girl, but the other girl are both yeah. signed on to return. So that makes sense. But yeah, uh, and then we've got a bunch of reviews over at ExplosionArrow dot com. Uh, Koala Man came out on Disney Plus oh, all at once, which I was surprised by. Um, hmm. Of course, this is the uh, an. Ast- Story about an Australian man living in the fictional town of Dapdo, uh, mm. who uh, wants to help his community and does so by being Koala Man, who is just a man with a koala cow that he wears. No superpowers, no general abilities. Just, you know, a guy being a guy. But this is a fu- weird fucked up Australia where weird shit happens <laughs> every yeah. single week. So, yeah. Uh, I think you gave it a six, I want to say, off the top of my head. I can't remember. I feel like I gave it a bit higher than that. Come on. Okay, seven. There you go. Maybe. <laughs> I feel like maybe it's a seven. Um, either way, I yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I felt like it was a fun, what is it, like six or eight episodes? Eight episodes. Not particularly yeah. long. long. Um, it's somewhere between, as terrible as to say, given certain views, but it's obviously somewhere between like a Rick and Morty and um, I can't remember what else I tied into, but. Uh, it's it's like sort of in that adult it's in that adult animation sort of thing um but the reason i was excited for it originally was because actually this michael um the creator michael cusack i think that's how you say his name um australian dude who um i used to watch a bunch of his shorts and stuff he did on youtube back in the day and then he did, he's done another series and he's he's the original koala man thing was like a a short on this Australian ABC series years and years ago. So, like, that was the reason I was, I was sort of in. And the, although this first season sort of redoes the storyline from that original pitch, which is fine, um, it's, I think it's very fun. It's, it's, it'll either like hit your humor or it won't. And if it won't, you're going to hate it. And if it, <laughs> if it works, it'll work. Cause yeah, it's, it's got wild. Like, it just, it does that whole animation show thing where it starts out normal and then next second there's like talking giant plants and yep. like, you know, he literally gets like kangaroos like on the side of the road in one episode. Like he pulls over to help it, and then they all jump out of nowhere and fucking rob him and take his car. And, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's some weird stuff. There's, there's basically an episode where they imply the Wiggles are like uh, raping and keeping kids fucking hostage. Eating so I mean, like it's <laughs> yeah. So there's a whole eating children for the whole, musical abilities. Yeah, the musical abilities. So like, yeah, it's also very Australian in that. Um, a lot of the jokes rely on uh, like Australian pop culture references, which makes me wonder how well this will work um, on Elsewhere. Hulu and stuff like that. Yeah, where it'll be interesting because in, obviously America, there's so. a lot of cuss words that we use here and that aren't necessarily uh, commonly yeah, used elsewhere. Yeah, there's sea bombs and everything in this. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I did appreciate like a bu- there's so many like different so Australian things. We talk about show bags in one episode. I'm like that can't be a I can't they're talking about show bags and being like, they used to be so good, now they're fucking shit. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but literally a conversation I've had. Like, <laughs> and like Binday, it's like so. Yeah, like, and that's a big part of yeah. the first episode. Like, yeah. just how important that Binday is. Yeah. Yeah. And handball. It's like, yeah. I, I don't handball. think that's an American thing. No. Oh, I don't think so either. Yeah, so, 
Uh, also, yeah, uh, Hugh Jackman plays uh, Big Rear. Head of, like, some big, Jeff big or something. company. Yeah, the, the Prime Minister, no, the Mayor. Oh, no, I think it's, is he the Mayor? I, I think remember, so. Like, he's just the dude in town. Yeah, right? he's the big honcho in town. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's the Mayor, and he, he used to be, like, a Steve Owen type. Or, yeah, Steve yeah. Owen type, and he had his own t- TV show and stuff, yeah. So, I enjoyed it. It was a good time. I'm keen, I'd be interested to see a second season. Um, there are some really nice moments. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then you also checked out one of the most, uh, despised pieces of animation (laughs) released in years, Velma. Yeah, I think I gave this a six. You gave it a 6.5. I believe from what I saw before, it is currently sitting at a 1.5 on IMDb. Yeah. User score. Not like yeah, use the score. Yeah. Um, yeah, people hate this show. I mean, it's not great. It's not bad either. I, I like so in my review, I say so. I, I only reviewed the so the premiere. The premiere was the first two episodes. Um, I hated it for the first like half of the first episode. I thought it was very try hard because it's it's basically so it's Vilma from Scooby Doo, but it's like an adult show. And the first episode, you haven't watched any of this, have you? No, I've not. No. So the first episode starts with like Daphne. Wasn't that's it, right, Daphne? But Daphne's the Scooby- redhead. Yeah, the other Scooby Doo person, right? Yeah. So Daphne's like in the because it's set when they're in school and everything. Um, like Daphne's like it's in the girls' locker room, and you got a bunch of naked girls like fighting, and Velma's like in there, and then she's trying to solve a crime, and um, but well, no, she doesn't want to solve a crime because she gets like she has this backstory where she thinks her solving crime led to her mother like leaving, and so she's trying not to do it, and then you've got other characters like. Um, Fred is like the most idiotic, dumbass character, rich boy, white dude. Um, there's some like wild character directions in this. And for like the first half of the episode, first half of the first episode, I just thought it was absolutely terrible. I stuck around for the second because I'm like, uh, like towards the end of the first, I'm like, all right, this like, it's bad, but not terrible at this stage. And then by the time I got to the second episode, I sort of enjoyed the second one. Um, I guess that's why I ended up coming around to the 6.5. The second episode was just this, um, where Daphne and Velma sort of, they set up a romance between the two of them, I guess. And you get a whole episode where they're, um, they're spending time together trying to do several things, but also revolves around Daphne trying to get Velma to help her sell drugs. <laughs> like, oh, like it's some weird shit happening, but like the character stuff, um, was working for me. Um, some of the jokes worked for me, not all of them. Like the, the sort of, the, this, this is a very hit and miss comedy show, but um animation wise like it's actually quite good um character designs are fun like it's a very bright show for the most part there's you know it doesn't look like every other animation like if you want to talk about koala man it looks like rick and morty which looks like a million other like that that type of animation i feel like just everywhere so at least it looks different so yeah but everyone hates it i thought it was okay so okay so it's got 59 on metacritic with a point if i'm if i'm at a 6.5 yeah <laughs> and the 59 is a Metacritic. That's yeah, I'm not yeah, too far so. over. Uh, but yeah, I but don't yeah, think every, I've ever seen hates like it. a cartoon property so quickly. Hated I don't know, remember Shira? And they can't. I mean, even that like, was... people enjoyed that. Yeah, but it, it had, was a, like, it, it got that had a vocal audience that liked it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's like people are turning on Mindy Kaling and everything. It's kind of it's kind of interesting to watch, I guess. To, you know. In some regard. Uh, you also watched the documentary, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. 
Yes, this is a very popular book. I feel like surely you, know, you would have seen this yeah. book around. But yeah, it's like a very popular. It was like huge when it came out. And it's got Croc in the title. And yeah, it's got exactly. It kind of stands out on the on, on the bookshelf. The, yeah, the bookshelf there. So, um, but this is like, I thought this movie. I went into this thinking it would be good. It's not. I think I gave it like a four. The problem with this is instead of expanding upon either the ideas in the book in the multiple ways you could explore the ideas in the book like have discussions with different people like have people talk about why they think the ideas expressed in the book um uh, are bad like talk like talk about people who think it's like a very positive sort of mentality because the book sort of just talks about like i don't know what he would i can't remember what he officially described that but it's just like the idea of sunlight not giving a fuck basically boils down to you know like you can't control life it's just, just maybe you li- like the dude talks I, I, fuck, I can't remember his name now. what's his name do you have it open the author and then the dude, uh, Andy, uh, I think. I not, but I can quickly. Um, he like talks about how he spent like the majority of his younger years, uh, younger years, like getting in trouble, and he li- like lived this what he thought was carefree life. But um, then Mark he realized, Manson. Yeah, Mark Manson. Yeah. Um, he spent all these years doing that, and then he thought that his not giving a fuck attitude was like. But it, it, he realized his his attitude of not giving a fuck was really he was giving too many fucks, and he was trying to like portray this certain like persona and whatever else and like it just talks about like i don't know like it, it's the ideas for the for the most part i'm all on board with but the way this this documentary is I, I i quotation documentary because really it's just a ted talk like it's him talking to the camera cut with footage a lot of it just seems like b-roll that's been brought off like shutterstock or something like that and i just don't think it makes for a particularly interesting documentary um you're much better off just like listening to the audible reading the book like I, I just feel like it's a hugely missed opportunity to expand upon the book in a different medium instead of just doing the exact same thing, um, not as well in a different medium for the sake of doing it. Like, yeah. All right. Uh, and you also wrote a review for uh, Guy Ritchie's latest film, Operation Ruse de Gour, the film that was delayed almost 12 months. Yeah, so um, for people who don't know, because I guess it's like, was this movie delayed because it's that bad? No, they they were going to release it and then they delayed it last second because two of the bad guys in it are Ukrainian. So I'm like, sure that's um, something they fixed, right? Uh, no, there's still bad guys in it. So they just delayed it by a year. <laughs> and I guess the war's over now. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know if we decide that how it works. But, um, the movie's fine, I guess. I don't think it's like particularly good. Um, I can't remember what I gave it. Probably like 5.5. I don't know. There goes about say six at the highest, so that adds up. Um, the best person in it's Audrey Plaza. I kind of wish the movie was just starring her, and then they did like the same sort of plot, but it was just starring her because Jason Statham's just doing Jason Statham, which in this movie I'm just sort of bored by, especially when Audrey Plaza is just the most interesting person on screen every time she's on screen. Um, Josh Harnett's really good. He's not in it as much. Like he's in it a lot, but he's like obviously like it's Jason Statham's movie. So um, Hugh Grant's amazing. He's just fucking, he's eating it up. This, like, this, the British gangster accent he's doing. He's a lot of fun. But yeah, the action's like, whatever. The pacing's like, weird. The movie ended and I was like, what the fuck? Is that how the movie ends? So, um, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, 5.5. It's, it's, it's perfectly watchable once, I guess. All right. Uh, let's move into stuff we were talking about for the first time, I guess, kind of. Babylon, the latest film by Damien Chazelle, uh, following a bunch of characters during the transition in Hollywood between silent films and sound films during the 1920s. Um, 
obviously coming from amazing pedigree. All of James Giselle's films have been highly regarded. This one underperformed drastically at the box office and has had incredibly mixed reviews uh, with people being at both ends of the spectrum very strongly. Dylan, what are your feelings on Babylon? I love it. So good. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to watch it again. It's just a... It is a spectacle. It is... It is... It is... It's fucking the best of both worlds, I feel, because not only is it absolutely wild, and I think about some scenes in that movie, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's got some crazy, like, well-put-together comedy sequences, like the, the where they're filming the stuff at the start of the movie, and then they just cut to a dude dying with a pole for him. Like, I mean, like, that's... <laughs> that's there are some wildly funny, like, ridiculous scenes. But then by the time you get to... I couldn't stop thinking... Like, I remember driving home, and the ending of that movie, I was just, like, couldn't stop thinking about it. Like, it, I feel like it just does everything. Like it's 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 just it leaves you it left me like just for, even for days after just like I couldn't stop thinking about the ending and just like sort of digesting it, thinking about it. But it's also just has some wildly crazy funny scenes, and I think all the characters are great. I don't think it's nihilistic or whatever people have sort of accused it of being, and like sort of Damien Chazelle's like changed his la la land. I just I I do not get that at all. Um, the music is phenomenal. I have li- been listening to the soundtrack pretty much on repeat since I've watched it. I cannot get away from listening to it. I mean, I drove up to a shop after work today and before coming here to record this, and I was just banging out the soundtrack just then, and I still can't stop listening to it. Um, costume designs is insane. The cinematography and work, especially when you're putting together those scenes at the start of the movie where everyone's dancing around that house, that's like insanity. Um, I don't know. I, 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 think it's, I think it's a fantastic movie. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, I enjoyed it. I I didn't love it as much as you did, but uh, I thought it was a interesting movie. Uh, it's set during a very interesting time. I think a lot of the characters were quite uh engrossing, and then to kind of how it the ending is very interesting. It's like it it kind of makes it a retelling, makes the events of a certain film. As if it's the retelling of the like, events of this like, film. Without spoiling everything, the movie sort of, it almost like, it's funny because originally he was going to have, I, I read, like originally he was going to have real people in this movie. And it's like real actors, I mean, like um, based on real actors. Like, and they changed it and like made them mm. his own so he could play around with them a bit more. But yeah, by the time you get to the end, it's like, it sort of like sits in. The, but the pers- the thing is, the character of Brad Pitt's inspired by is the person who did end up like being the inspiration for singing in the rain anyway so it doesn't really matter like it's sort of it goes full circle although he's changed the character's I mean, name <laughs> it's yeah. funny because it, it this is it kind of feels like uh the northman in comparisons to Macbeth, where you know northman's based on amleth the actual original legend that hamlet yeah. was inspired by yeah. so it, it kind of works in that way but yeah i thought it was really interesting diego calva uh who i would argue was kind of the main character He's very good. Yeah, he's my character. Yeah. Um, you know, Brad Marco Pitt. Marco Robbie's great. Jean Smart. She gets a great like few moments in there. Um, and Tobey Maguire shows up and is super creepy. He's they, they're like creepy, they right. like shoehorn like a solid fifteen minute horror movie in here. Uh, <laughs> so you know, go go into it knowing that I guess. Um, yes, but some of the shit I don't know how they filmed it. You know. Well, I know how they filmed the shit, but... 
I mean, yeah, the movie starts Prosthetics. with someone getting shit all over. So. <laughs> okay. There's that. Um, I mean, there's some, there's some interesting people that show in this movie. Like, you have, like, um, Fleas in it. and um, Yeah. Uh, what's my call? I'm trying to think of her name now. Um, Eric Roberts is the dad or whatever. Um, Eric Roberts, yeah, Samara Weaving. I'm trying to think of the, from, yeah, Samara Weaving, which is very Spike funny. Jones like Spike Jones is in this movie. Spike Jones is in this movie as the German director do. Um, but yeah, I was trying to think of his second wife. Oh, Catherine Watson's, like, the Brad Pitt's, like, character's, like, second or third wife. Olivia Wilde's in this for, like, Olivia Wilde's in it for, like, seconds. five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, some, there's some people. Yeah, craziness, so. Uh, definitely recommend checking out Babylon. Um, Dylan, you finally got an opportunity to see The Fablemans. Yeah, so The Fablemans is... Speaking of movies about Hollywood. Yeah, movies kind about of. Hollywood. Sort of like one of my favorite genres. Um, Fablemans is Steven Spielberg's childhood story, but he's just, like, instead of calling the character Steve, he's, he's changed old names. But for all purposes, and I don't, I think he's even said as much. Like, it, it, it basically is. Like, it's not, like, based on it, it, but it or inspired by, I should say. Like, it is basically just, it is him, but he's just changed the character. Um, yeah, it's very good. I, it's, it's just very, like, it's a Steven Spielberg classic, I feel like. It's, um, it's, it's what he does best, which is just tell stories, even if they're not of the most epic proportions. Um, and it's one that's, like, obviously very personal to him from, both the family aspect, because that's what the movie mostly deals with. Um, the sort of the uh, what happens and grows to be sort of the the gap between his mom and dad, especially when one's like pushing him to be more creative, and the other one's like not against it, but more like his dad's like it's a hobby. It's not like you yep. need to get like a proper career. This isn't a real thing you can do. Uh, but yeah, as the the kid who's basically I can't remember my kid's name anyway, Steve. The kid Fableman, um, he like as he learns to discover and love movies and starts filming them with his friends. You get all those really like I love it, like scenes in movies where kids are running around filming things and whatever else. Like that's good. I remember like you know in Super Eight, that's like some of the most fun sort of stuff like that as well. Um, yeah, it's beautifully shot. You got this fantastic cinematography throughout of it. It has this like uh, phenomenal the way the movie ends. I think people is probably like. It's hard to explain because it's literally the the movie ends. I don't know if this is a spoiler, but the poster is the last shot of the movie. But like how the 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 ten seconds in the lead up to that, or even like the last five to ten minutes of the movie, is just like this this sort of perfect culmination of everything that leads up to this one final shot that I think is brilliant. So um, yeah, I expect Spielberg will probably win an Oscar for this. So <laughs> I put it. Bluntly. Yeah, obviously, I I really enjoyed the film. I thought. Um... It's fantastic, really, you know, obviously uh, telling of Spielberg's life. Um, there is a, <laughs> I, I, there's a scene, like, probably halfway along where he meet, he has, like, his first girlfriend, which is some of the funniest stuff I think I've seen on t- in a film this year. So When he goes to her house for the first yeah. time? Yeah, that's fine. You know, and she tries to convert him. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think. Boy. very funny so yeah check out the Fablemans and Zimmers now uh I watched Puss in Boots The Last Wish it came out Boxing Day it is the best animated film of 2020 (laughs) well it's pretty animated film of 2022 yeah yeah 2022 uh yeah I I enjoyed it a little bit more than I did enjoy Pinocchio but um this is obviously the the second Puss in Boots movie which is crazy I think the first one came out. It was out. like 2011, I think. 
yeah, it's it's been a long time. It's been a development hell for a long time. Um, in this one, Puss in Boots loses its eighth life. It is now on its ninth, ninth and final life, uh, and he sets out on a quest to retrieve a fallen star so he can wish for his nine lives to come back. Um, meanwhile, he is being chased by a mysterious wolf character uh, and also having to contend uh, with rivals for the wishing star, including uh, Softy Kitty Paws, I want to say, a former lover, uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, voiced by Florence Pugh as Goldilocks, Olivia Coleman and Ray Winstone as the parents, and Samson Ko as the baby bear, and John Mulaney, who plays Jack Horner, who hates all magic- magical creatures and is hoarding like magical items for himself because he wants to wish that he was the only person with any magical abilities in this fairy tale world fantastic it just it goes way harder and deeper than it probably ever needs to uh it's in a very interesting animation style it obviously obviously influenced by something like spider-man into the spider-verse um ver- looks very different to the previous uh films you don't have to have seen any of the fr- films in the franchise but you know shrek does make a flashback appearance i've seen like the yeah i've seen someone post on twitter the shot of shrek and was like i think they said it was like here's shrek's first cinematic appearance in however many years it was yeah. or something like that uh but yeah there's obviously the, the film's been doing the rounds on twitter and social media with like all the people loving certain se- elements of it um but yeah i would recommend going and checking it out and you know it is kind of, it does kind of set up like more movies in this franchise potentially so yeah. Does he just get more lives like they did to Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Dylan, talk to us about Bump Season 3. Man, what Bump continues to be one of my favourite shows, and it's like the best thing every Boxing Day where I can look forward to a new season of Bump, and I don't know if I'll ever... I don't see a future at the moment, at least, where I'll get, I'll get sick of it, so... Um, Australian series, of course, we've talked about it like every other season when it drops. So um, it was in our top 10 TV shows in 2021 for the season there. So uh, will this one be in the top TV shows for 2023? Maybe. Find out at the end of the year. Uh, but this season, the third season, takes a time jump. So uh, season two ended with um, Olympia and um, Santi moving in together with the baby. Uh, this is about, uh, I, think, I can't remember exactly how many years, I think it's around like a five-year time jump or something around that. So now their uh, daughter uh, has grown up. Um, they suddenly, there's a bunch of stuff that sort of happened in the, the time gap as well, which is that Santi and um, Olympia have, or Ollie, I guess, Ollie and Santi have uh, split up. Um, and they're still co-parenting, but yeah, they're, they're sort of not living together anymore. Um, and then you also have, what are other, the main other things? Uh, Angie, Ollie's mum, uh, went through cancer in her time between and now sort of, is sort of a different person, I guess, uh, which is making it hard for, uh, Dom, the, uh, Ollie's dad to have any sort of reconnection there. And there's a lot of, <laughs> um, Angie has a very interesting story this season is what I'll say. Um, and then, yeah, so it continues on a lot of, the same, I think the time jump was really smart because it's sort of like they were, I think if they tried to stretch out and do it like they were doing, they were sort of fizzled out, but they, it's like a really smart time jump where it just suddenly introduces all these new, um, interesting directions to take the characters and the story. Because even, um, 
like obviously it's not a spoiler to say of course Ollie and Santi both end up getting different partners and you have this whole dynamic about like they it's a lot of the the shows like when do they introduce them to the kid how they introduce them to each other like well all these sorts of like these sorts of interesting stories and character things um but then you also have um all of ollie's friends and santi's friends like what are they up to what happens to them um like when they come back into it and whatever else uh yeah it's it's really good i watched it like yeah i i am very happy the show continues to be a thing i i can only assume it does very well i don't know anyone who watches it is the thing you know what i mean like i just live in this bubble bump yeah that's there's not a big bump like i don't know but i see like people must be watching it right yeah because they run a lot of ads it always uh, stan at least pushes a bit so i assume people must be watching it which is good because yeah i'm happy to take more because i i think it's a fantastic australian show that we continue to get every year and it's really good and um i I hope people support these australian shows because that's it like if you if you complain because like i do like you know it's normal tv is shit like it's mostly reality tv and whatever (laughs) else like if you're looking for quality australian scripted television like stan is producing the majority of that so um support it and bob is very good well speaking of australian content uh you also watch black snow uh so in sort of the opposite direction i guess for if if uh uh, tonally or quality genres tone i guess <laughs> no quality is still good i wouldn't say this is as good as bump but um it's still good so black snow is a i think it was like six episodes series um it's um what's the setup again i can't remember it's like the the main dude is a i guess like a cold case detective in i don't know new south wales queensland whatever it is um and he goes up to investigate this case in this small town where um, this girl went missing, uh, like in, when I was in high school or whatever, and it was the cold case. Never found the killer, or, or never found if there was a killer. You know, it's like people have presumptions in the town about was she killed, did she run away, like all these sorts of things. Um, but they did a time capsule when I was in school, like one of those like open twenty five years later thing. Mm. That when they open it, they find a note in there from her, which is very like sort of sounds like she was being. Um, like she talks crap on the town, says that everyone there's two faced, and like if if she'll ever be dead in twenty five years or this, you know, like it's it's just very like sort of thing. And there's a couple other things there there that make them send someone down to investigate the case. So um, yeah, it's got that small town vibe where lots of people are calling secret, uh, keeping secrets. No one really wants to talk to the the cop from the big city sort of mentality. Like it's there's a certain genre to these shows. I feel and movies. Where it's the the big type, the big city cop coming down to a small town has to try and work out what's going on. But um, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. It shot well. There's some um, good performances in it. Um, good mystery. Uh, good like sort of uh, finale solution, I guess, to how it all comes together. I felt satisfied. So yeah, another good one on stand. Uh, and then you also watch Colin from Accounts. This one's fucking. This is fucking funny show. I'm I'm telling you right now. This is the funniest thing I've watched all year so far. Wow. So yeah, I'm I'm putting it out there. So coming from accounts, I'm tra- I've got uh, I've managed to get people at work to watch it. I'm fucking pushing the show. <laughs> it fucking <laughs> like it made me laugh it. a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, I got stuck in this show because it made me laugh a lot, and I was like, "This is a good show." So coming from accounts is a binge original Australian series, which I don't know if there's been a binge original comedy series or there's been binge original specials and stuff. I've seen. I don't know if I anyway. Um, it's fuck. I can't remember the dude. The dude from he did um no activity and 
Patrick Bramall, there we go. Patrick Bramall uh, stars alongside Harriet Dyer. Uh, so at the start, first episode, the setup is uh, old mate Patrick plays Gordon. He's driving down the, the road in his car. Um, uh, Harriet is playing a girl called Ashley. Um, she's walking along for some reason. She decides to f- f- flush a bit of a tit <laughs> to... Uh, to Gordon as he's driving. Uh, because of this distraction, uh, he accidentally hits a dog. Uh, so then they get out of the car and they decide to take the dog to a vet. It costs about 10 grand or 12 grand or whatever it is, of which uh, Pat Gordon is able to pay because he runs a, uh, uh, a brewery, like a, uh, not a bar, but like a, a good quality brewery. And um, Ashley's like a younger, she's like a, a nurse in training or whatever that's called. Um, so she's like, I'll pay you back, pay you back. But then also what happens by the end of the first episode is she takes the dog home and then she gets kicked out of her flat because she's not allowed to have animals. So then she ends up back at Gordon's house and is like, can I stay here for a while until I look for a new place? Meanwhile, he's like, fucking hell, this woman's like the worst thing that ever <laughs> happened to her life. Uh, and it's called Common From Accounts because spoilers for the last episode, they decide by then, they're like, fuck, we better give this dog a name if we're going to keep it around. And they decide they'll call it Colin, you know, like Colin From Accounts. So I named the dog Colin. Um, but yeah. It's, 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 um, it's, I don't even want to spoil everything because there are some, like, there are some wild gags in this show. But also, the chemistry is fantastic because both the leads are married in real life. And I think a lot of the jokes is sort of built off, I guess, jokes maybe they've had about each other or friends are made because there is an age gap of like 15, 20 years between the two of them. And a lot of the jokes in the series about how, like, because of course this is, a, this is a, this is a rom-com, right? Like, Let's put it down. It's an Australian rom-com sort of thing. Like, of course, the sparks start to fly eventually. Um, and then the friend's always joking about how he's an old man and, you know, she's, she's a younger girl and they, they have all these sorts of things. But, yeah, I smashed through the six episodes of this. I hope they do a second season because it just it made me laugh quite a bit. Very, very fun show. Uh, continuing the Australian theme, I watched the second season of The Test, which is a prime video documentary series following the Australian cricket team. Uh, this during the Ashes here in Australia, uh, of course, the big thing that happened before the Australian this the one in the Ashes in this series uh, was Tim Payne stepped down as the Australian captain uh, due to a sexting scandal, um, and you know Pat Cummins became the new Australian Test cricket captain. Uh, kind of following him, I really enjoyed the first season. This one feels a little bit more rushed. Uh, there's only four episodes. Whereas the first season had like eight, uh, so it's a little bit more condensed. Um, but you know, it is fun to relive some of those moments. Um, of course, like the big thing that happened during that test series was Scott Boland, uh, and kind of blow up. Like had a fantastic debut match, so being able to be kind of be behind the scenes uh, before that happened was really cool. Uh, and then kind of uh, they go to the subcontinent, so they go to. Pakistan and Sri Lanka during pretty dangerous times uh, and kind of seeing them experience those places uh, was interesting as well. So uh, if you're a sports fan, check out the test season two. It's Why do you say that? Because I feel like they, um, as someone who hates cricket and um, um, I feel like they never rush test, test matches. I feel like it just goes forever and ever and ever. So it's interesting to say that. <laughs> That's not true. They're like several matches in the last year have been like three days long instead of five. So I mean, oh, only three days they, long. Oh fuck! Oh my god, three days. It's like very quick. Uh, very condensed. Uh, all right. 
Dylan, you watched Shotgun Wedding, which is about to release this coming Friday. Yes. In Prime Video. Uh, this one stars... What's his name? Josh Dumel. Jennifer Josh Lopez. Josh Dumel. There we go. It's in Jennifer Lopez. That's it. Um, so this is the one where we talked about... We did a thumbs up trailer. I think we both have double thumbs up. Mostly yes. Mostly because um, it has... Um, Jennifer Coolidge just firing a gun in it at some stage, which is <laughs> quite funny. Um, the movie is okay. I feel like the majority of the best parts are in the trailer. That's sort of what we ended up with here. Um, it starts off like with your typical sort of setup, and then um, oh, the th- I, th- I don't know if it's I don't think it's a spoiler, but I th- I feel like the thing that annoyed me the most is like so the ki- the, the the plot of this is literally they're at a whatever island or place wherever they are to get married. Then a bunch of pirates show up uh, to rob them or get money out of them, I guess. Um, the only reason that the t- two main characters aren't there at the time is because they're off arguing somewhere. So then the whole time they're trying to survive, they're still doing a bunch of bickering back and forth. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I feel I, I, that sort of annoyed me because I was like, I, I could have, I, I much would have preferred the the tone of like them just being fucking kick ass together, you know, without any of the like, I I I don't need the. I don't need the rivalry between the two of them, the arguing at the same time. Like, you've already got fucking dudes with machine guns here. Like, I don't need... How much more stuff do I need, you know? Just how much more dilemmas do I need the characters to go through? It's fine, so... Um, But there are some funny parts. Of course, Jennifer Coolidge eventually shooting a machine gun is quite funny. Um, But there are are some few other highlights that I won't spoil. But they're sort of, I would say, spread thinner than what I would have hoped going into the movie. All right. Uh, well, speaking of Jennifer Coolidge, you, you finished watching uh, White Lotus season two. Yeah, it's it's sort of like I I had to like follow our rules. Like I cut off, of course, for TV shows is the end of November for, and this didn't finish until the end of December or start twenty twenty. No, it's the end of November, right? Um, yep. So, best show twenty twenty three so far. Um. White Lotus is somehow White Lotus, a show that for all purposes was supposed to be a, a one and done season limited series. Mm-hmm. And then HBO is like, people like that. Can you do more? And I'm like, okay, I can do more, I guess. Uh, this season's better than the first somehow, which never really happens to these sorts of things. Usually the, the story is they, you know, you ask someone to do more of something that they only plan to do one of, and it turns out absolutely horrible. But didn't you like uh, no, the uh, second season of that? Uh, Nicole Kidman, Big Little Lies. I feel like it was the good. First season, season. yeah, I like. No, first season was better. Okay, second season was good. The first season was better. So okay, um, but no, uh, White Lotus season two. It, the only character they bring back is Jennifer Coolidge. So the connecting factor is it's just a bunch of other characters going to another White Lotus hotel in a completely different country. This time they're in Italy. The main several characters you have is uh, a family going there to visit. Um, or reconnect to their Italian heritage, I guess. And you've got two uh, prostitutes, sort of as other characters, Italian prostitutes who mingle between a lot of the characters. Jennifer Coolidge is there with her husband who she met from last season. Um, and then you've got new character who's like her assistant. You have... Fuck, am I forgetting people? Probably am. Can't remember. Oh, yeah. And then you've got, of course, Audrey Plaza with... She's there with her boyfriend or husband, I can't remember if, who's and what's married, but uh, and they're there with two other friends. They recently like stuck up a business deal. Um, so I would say, I was describing the first season a lot, to, of course, when we talked about it, it as like, they're just terrible people 
and it's just really entertaining to watch them. There are a lot of terrible people in this, but I feel like the the overall vibe and uh, mix between the characters is a lot more varied this time. Like, I didn't feel like all the characters we were following were terrible. Like, I, I didn't, you know, like, the first season I, feel, I felt like every character just sucked, but they were really entertaining to watch, whereas I actually did like some of the main characters at the time, or didn't, like, think they were all terrible people, or at least there was a little little bit more versatility to them um, and their personalities. So I think that makes it a little bit more enjoyable and um, beautifully shot, very funny, absolutely wild final episode. So um, yeah, ultimately it's just, it's just, it's just quality TV. Like I, I feel like if you don't like, I just, I saw someone the other day call White Lotus boring. I'm just like, I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. Don't understand. Be I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, so I've watched the first three episodes of the new seasons of The Legends of Vox Machina, uh, of course, the animated series that spawned out of, uh, Critical Role, uh, this season, they're fighting dragons, and, you know, it's not off to a good start, um, obviously a very important run during the, the campaign, uh, yeah, it's really good, there's iconic moments kind of all slithered through, um, fan favorite character showing up um yeah it's enjoyable i think you know i feel like i really need to go back and rewatch the first season because um yeah uh yeah yeah uh just because you know i i think i talked about it somewhere but like i kind of felt like the first season was felt rushed just because the the pacing of that is so different to the pacing of the the live D game and so it feels like the events are like happening much quicker than they're supposed no, to because they are happening a lot they, quicker they are happening much quicker than they're supposed to though, yeah. um yeah and even in this there's like certain events that are taking place at the same time as or different times they've moved stuff around and that kind of stuff um interestingly like they do some like develop, like some flashbacks and stuff uh so far this season which was really effective because obviously it's setting up like a massive click cliffhanger on episode three um but yeah uh, i'm enjoying it so far of course you know it's a massive hit um yeah it's really good uh let's talk about some more shows that we finished watching the seasons of uh willow the tv show the follow-on from willow uh the movie um finished its run i liked it overall i didn't love it it was i don't know there's just something about it didn't quite click towards the end um but you know i i think it's a fun ride uh it's cool i'll enjoy the younger cast of characters that they introduced um and yeah i i'm keen for a season two which they definitely leave the door open for uh but dylan you've watched a few episodes now what are you what are your thoughts on willow yeah so i think i've watched four or five yeah uh, and i think it only picks up picks up i think the first episode's like good but then every episode after when you actually start getting Willow in and they're going on the adventure, like it takes those first couple of episodes to pick up. But now I've just, I've been loving it. I've been like, I'm, I'm hopefully going to finish it off this week. I, mm. I would hope um, between some other things, but yeah, I've been really, really loving it. I think this, it just takes everything that's set up in that, the Willow movie, um, the universe and expands upon it. And I've just been finding it such a, like it's, it, of course it's got like sort of typical fantasy settings and stuff, but I feel like there's enough differentiating it in little little ways that make the Willow universe 
stand out to different other fantasy universes. Um, all the younger new characters are all absolutely fantastic. Um, they're all sort of stand out on their own ways. All have very unique personalities. All have these really great performances. Um, some fun little cameo performances and stuff that happen here too. Um, Hannah Waddingham shows up for one episode, yeah. which is fantastic. I was going to ask about that. Like- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's that's really good so i'm looking forward to seeing what else happens um the episode after that which i think was maybe the last one i watched so maybe like the only four but where it's sort of set inside the uh, i don't know how much the spoilers but no fuck i don't care um set inside the entire castle from the where the villain of the the movie was like i, I really yeah. like that just the, the exploration there and um the the building on the the psychological elements i guess and the sort of what happens in there i thought was all really really great some really fantastic performances happening in that episode in particular so yeah, I I think it's fantastic so far. So yeah, it just takes that first episode and a half, I guess, to to kick to kick into gear. Yeah. Uh, I also finished watching Slow Horses season two, uh, which is the spy espionage series starring Gary Oldman, who leads a team of MI six misfits. Uh, this season they're they're chasing someone who killed like a former agent, uh, and they think there's a bunch of cicadas. Uh, hidden within the UK, so a bunch of Russian super agents that kind of been activated uh, for nefarious purposes. I really, yeah, another great season, like all these different th- plot threads that you didn't really see a common connection of come together kind of brilliantly. Um, Yari Oldman is fantastic. Just a, a really, really enjoyable series. And again, they've already dropped a trailer for season three, so, <laughs> you know, very quick another hopefully another season quickly turning around um yeah i i think it's a really good show and it's only like six episodes each season so i mean it's not that much much commitment i think it's worth checking out if you're a fan of those type of series um so yeah Can that's I just what say, it's just, just reminded me apple tv did you watch that tilly show like yes advert? it might it's be fucking- the best piece of marketing <laughs> <It's> so funny <laughs> i think he's got to so win funny. whatever the ad <laughs> oscar is equivalent for people who don't know, there's this Timothy Chalamet ad for Apple TV Plus that just dropped, and all it is is like just mo- different moments of either him flicking past Apple TV shows and like being like, "Oh yeah, I could, I, I could do a prison show," or like actors no, talk no, to him, like Jason Blackbird. Momoa. Yeah, I could do prison. I could do prison. Or like Jason Momoa, like call him up, be like, "What's happening?" He's like, "Yeah, just got done filming new show." And like, you know, this is sure, everybody's that. getting like, one. <laughs> everyone's getting, and then like, and then just rolls over and bears like. I could do whatever. Yeah, I could do call you. Apple I call know, me. Just, <laughs> Apple call me, please. Yeah, I, it's, I think it was a very funny answer. Speaking of more Apple stuff, I finished watching season three of Mythic Quest. Yes, season yes, three. We're up to three Still very three. funny, enjoyable. There is an element of it that feels like it is spinning its wheels a little bit. There is an element of it like we ended last season on a big like uh, shift in the universe or the world, you know, and they've kind of done the full rotation and they're kind of back to where they started. Um, I feel like the problem is they'll never live up to they'll never, being like, as good as that COVID special. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I, lots of fun episodes. Uh, the episode that I did uh, go back, like the one that kind of stuck out, uh, I know every single season they do like a flashback or like one back in the past. This season, they do an episode where they flash back to Poppy and Ion as children, and I kind of explain how they got into video games and that kind of stuff. Um, 
and it is brilliant. The girl that they cast as Poppy is like incredible. Like it's it's like they just cloned, like they went back in time and just filmed Poppy in <laughs> in two thousand three or something. So uh, it it is uncanny. Uh, and she's a big Final Fantasy. I want to say nine. She's playing Final Fantasy nine during the episode. So. Yeah, I recommend Mythic Quest, but it did feel like it was a bit... It's kind of not going super forward, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's super enjoyable. Uh, Dylan, you finished watching Dope Sick, the miniseries yeah. that we talked about earlier this year. Yeah, I, I just, like, I, I've been wanting to go back and finish it. I just, like, kept on that. Uh, just never got around to doing it for other things. But, um, yeah, in the time off, finally finished it. Very good. Obviously, um, award-winning, right? Yeah, I didn't dream. What? It won an award, right? It won the or Emmy, yeah. Michael Keaton won series. Yeah, mess, and Michael Keaton won, right? Yes, Michael Keaton. Yeah. No, it didn't win miniseries because uh, White Lotus was eligible. But Michael Keaton but Michael won. Michael Keaton won, yeah. So Michael Keaton's fantastic in it, but yeah, it's just a very... I mean, it's almost just a depressing series by then because although they sort of win, they don't. Like, I don't know, it just sort of leaves you open... Uh, they win, but uh, they already lost. <laughs> they win, but they already lost, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. So it's, yeah, especially with the amount of characters that like especially the the normal average joe sort of people that die in the show and all these sorts of things and just the the way they portray the big farmer um and their care factor totally boils down to whatever we can do to make more money that's all that matters so um yeah it's very very good series but it'll just sort of make you feel shit <laughs> yeah all right well something that didn't make you feel shit i'm assuming is abbott elementary another series that we started earlier in the year and you finally caught up on it. Made me feel terrible. Um, no, Abbott Elementary is very good. I think I'm up to date. No, oh, maybe not. Maybe I've got like last. No, I think you're a couple. Or... They just started the second part. The second of... half of season two. They're right? only like so... a week behind now. Before they were like a couple of weeks behind. Behind America, now, like yeah. Seven days yeah. after. Which they is still weird. I'm like, US, why can't but... why can't we just get that same time? I don't understand why this is. Don't know. We'll just Fuck just me. be grateful. <laughs> um, anyway uh Abbott elementary is yeah very very good obviously award-winning uh <laughs> that one i know for sure um very funny show yeah it's the heartwarming fun new series that everyone should probably just be watching because it's just there's nothing wrong with it like it's it's, it's we've talked about it before like it's it's very funny but also continues to somehow manage like to have even if you don't realize it having something to say i guess about either schools in general which could be applied to majority of countries around the world um but also you know then you'll get other things delving into relationships and um mother figures uh raising kids judging people the way they look like there's an episode where that woman has tattoo like that that's quite funny yeah she has like black bitch or what the other just fucking yeah just like this very outlandish thing like tattooed on her and then yeah of course uh that's like brought up like how that's um they talk about like she gets judged, but then apologized to later in the episode. And yeah, so like there's always like lessons to be learned, but it's also very funny and heartwarming and um, just a, a quality sitcom, like the quality sitcom mm. I'd say at the moment. Yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying season two and uh, some really good episodes in there. Uh, I literally went back and rewatched the Halloween episode, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, it has a bunch of cool like costumes and cameos obviously it's an abc show so there's a bunch of marvel characters yeah. that people are cosplaying as uh, or dressed up as um scarlet witch everywhere scarlet witches and baby thanos yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> uh but yeah really enjoyable and you know all the cast is fantastic 
Uh, I don't know if you saw the clip of the of a recent episode. No, I'll wait. I'll wait till you watch it. I haven't yeah. seen. Yeah, I haven't. I don't. If I see it come up on Twitter, I'm not going to watch it. So yeah. watch. It. I don't want to spoil any of that jokes. But the thing, if I do want to spoil something, but Shirley Ralph, fantastic it. delivery sometimes. Yes, in general, that's a statement. Yes. Do you have a favorite <laughs> episode of season one? I, I don't know if it's season one, but the fucking Bluey episode blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's season two, yeah. Was that season one? Or was that, that was season was two, that yeah. Season, season two. But that this episode, this kid's just obsessed with Bluey. And I just love the fact that um, Oliver, like cut talking to the camera. He's like, this kid just bloody Australian series showing a blue, the blue dog. Kid won't stop talking about it. And then he ties it in at the end and like starts like teaching the kid. He's like, you know, if Bluey had five apples, you know, or whatever the the thing is, like, yeah. it's just, it's quite funny. Go so. Bluey, getting paid, yeah. getting that yeah. <laughs> licensing yeah, dollars, money. So. Yeah. Um, favorite episode would be really hard. I'd have to like really like think about it. I don't know if I could pull one off the top of my head. Yeah, it's pretty tough. I mean, I love that desking episode. That's a pretty good one. Oh yeah, they were trying to figure out which kids are standing on the desks and yep. whatever. Black? <laughs> no, Zach. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't think it was Zach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or and Paul Tariq, you know. Very, very funny. His rap though, hilarious. Yeah, that's. What if so Shorty up here just up and died right now? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> <laughs> the drugs? Yeah. I uh, mean the the oh no, this I feel like a lot of those season two episodes stand out more to me just because I'm. Like maybe it's more recent or something. Yeah. I don't know. But the the science episode I thought was also very very good. Yeah. The just because those kids' faces when she's dropping those fucking <laughs> eggs from up on this high ladder and all these eggs are just smashing and the kids are like watching people with these eggs getting murdered. <laughs> it's very funny. These eggs that they've crazily uh, spent all this time like created to, these yeah. attachments too. Yeah. Uh, now we're going to kind of move into a segment of stuff that we watched in the lead up to our best of 22, 2020, best of 2020, the best of 2022 lists. Uh, Dylan, you watched the menu. I watched this after the voting, but yeah, no, it's oh, fine. Okay. We can put it here. I only, I only watched it like a couple days ago. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the menu is very good. It's, uh, honestly, for, I, especially maybe for you, cause I didn't even know myself coming into it. Like, is this, like, a horror movie? Are they, like, eating people? Like, what's the the twist? Like, yes. you could definitely watch this. This is a... This is not... Okay. A, that's not... That's not what the... That's not the direction. There's no cannibalism like, in this movie. There's no cannibalism involved. Like, it, it's a thriller, but it's a... It's... I mean, I would... It's a comedy thriller. Like, it's... The majority of the movie, honestly, is just the camera circul- circling around this room where they're eating this food and you get to know these characters. And of course the tension picks up as the, the night continues until eventually you realize like they're not allowed to leave and like, you know, revelations be to you who's going to watch it. But yeah, it's got these really just fantastic performances by everyone that's involved. It's shot really well, especially when you're keeping the majority of the, the camera rolling in one setting, which is this dinner room once they all sit down and um, get that started. But um yeah, it's it's definitely very different. I I guess maybe the the thing that would annoy some people is it's it's sort of bl- I guess it's blunt with it's like what is the point of this movie? Like it's just it's sort of just what it's trying to say. But um, yeah, it's weirdly funny considering the it's a bunch of people getting trapped in a room and not allowed to leave when they've come to this island to have a um, exquisite like several thousand dollar meal. Um, Nicholas Holt is <laughs> it's fucking like, he's just such a dipshit character like up his own ass character that you he, he's sort of but he's playing it so well it's sort of fun but yeah it's, yeah all right it's good. 
Uh, so I watched Prey. So this is the Predator prequel set in uh, 1719 in America. So during the, uh, I don't know, before the Americans. It's the white about people got when white colonization is happening. A Comanche war, a Comanche tribe. Uh, yeah. You follow a young woman named Naru who uh, wants to prove herself as a hunter, uh, but comes across a predator in the, in the forest uh, who is hunting and uh, does its hunting shit. And she has to kind of survive and fight the predator using what she has available at her. I thought it was really good. It was super enjoyable. Some of the action is very uh, creative and uh, they do a good job of like setting up certain elements. Um, I mean, it maybe telegraphs certain things like pretty far early like there's the like a sand pit no like a quicksand thing that i'm like oh that's probably gonna play into it later in the movie um but uh yeah i thought it was plausible the way that they she was able to come out victorious which i don't think would be a surprise uh yeah it was super enjoyable amber mid thunder she's fantastic uh really engrossing main character and i had a really good time watching it Am I going to watch Predators or Predator? Probably not anytime soon. I don't feel like, like I can, like, th- this movie is a lot different to the, like, this, well, no, to be fair, the, the most recent run of Predator movies have been less horror and more, like, action, action thriller, yeah. which is what this is. This is, like, an action thriller. Yeah. It's still, like, and again, too, people go, like, oh, but it's, like, it is, like, technically it's still a horror movie, but it's just more action thriller horror than it is horror, um, which has been the, the, been how the last several are, so. Yeah, if you want to go back and watch like the original Predator with Schwarzenegger and stuff, that's a like that's meant to be a scary horror movie. But yeah, I I, I feel like Predator now as a franchise has fallen more into this genre, and it probably won't go back. Mm. Uh, Dylan, you got around to watching Elvis. Yeah, so I finally watched Elvis. I was like, I better watch it in the lead up to the best of stuff. I know it's going to be probably nominated for a lot of things, and didn't know if you were going to nominate it and wanted to be able to have a, a proper say. Um, it's a wild movie. It's just the way it's edited, the way it's like paced and put together. It's just Basil Lemon's just fucking off his chops, isn't he? Um, <laughs> Austin Butler is very good as Elvis. Like it's it's definitely a strong performance. I can't I can't take that away. But I I don't know. It just felt like it felt like I watched like I felt like I was engaged watching it, and all the music parts very good. Like and it's just just very like. Put, like very well put together movie. I actually don't like Tom Hanks in it. Like I, I definitely fall on the side of it's just too much. Like it's sort of yep. he, it was grating towards me. He's the he sort of brings the movie down actually, which is weird to say for Tom Hanks who usually elevates movies. Uh, but yep. he was the worst person in the movie by far. It's just like sort of it's just sort of like he's making fun. It feels like he's making fun of the movie sure. while everyone else is sort of being serious. <laughs> yeah, it's just, he's he's what? Like it's just <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So. Um. But yeah, by the end of it, I just felt, I don't know, I just felt like it was missing something. I felt like maybe it treated the characters with, uh, maybe it's just by the, the, having the, the remaining Presleys, I guess at the time, you know, rest in peace, recent yep. events, but, um, involved with it sort of leads it towards, you can't say many two things negative about Elvis, but just fe- it felt like too cookie cutter, too just nice about a lot of things. So that'd be my only complaint. Uh, I watched Confess Fletch, which is a, the, uh, John Hamm starring adaptation of one of the Fletch novels, uh, directed by Greg Mottler. Uh, 
yeah, where Fletch is uh, investigating a bunch of stolen paintings, and then gets uh, the the uh, Airbnb he's staying is in uh, someone gets murdered in. So he's uh, they're pretty sure that he's the one who murdered the person. <laughs> uh, yeah, someone who has not watched any of the Chevy Chase Fletchers, um, which I guess are the only Fletchers. Uh, I was going to say the, the only <laughs> other Fletchers, but yeah. <laughs> the Fletchers. I enjoyed it. Obviously, I'm I like John Hamm in comedic roles, and I think he's very good here. Is like, uh, kind of a smarmy kind of uh, investigative, former investigative journalist. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fun back and forth. There are kind of mystery that's around what happened to these paintings, who murdered this person. Uh, it's quite interesting and in how it unfolds. Roy Wood Jr. from The Daily Show plays like this head detective uh, who's also having to deal with a new child. Uh, so it was like very tired and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, this Marsha Gay Harden shows up with a wild accent, which is very funny. Uh, you get the Mad Men uh, reunion with John Slattery for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good time. So uh, Confess Fletch. It's on available for rental, so I would say give it a go. <laughs> uh, and I'd be down for more Fletcher's starring John Hamm. Uh, Dylan, you watched Emily the Criminal. Which ended up making my top ten. <gasps> Personal movie, so if you missed that episode. Um, yeah, it's just this... It's a small, independent um, film starring Audrey Plaza... Um, I think it's one of her best performances. It's a it's a smaller performance. It's not like a super loud performance, but I definitely feel like it's a, a nuanced one that's sort of she grips you whenever you're you're um, that she's on screen, which is the majority of the movie. Um, but yeah, it's about this girl Emily who does um, sort of shitty jobs, and she's trying to make it and be something, but she unfortunately has something on her criminal record, so it sort of uh, talks like of, of the the movie's politics sort of right on its sleeve, where it's talking about how. You know, people for small crimes or mistakes in their past sort of get fucked over for their lives. And, you know, as much as they can try hard, they end up falling into this. Like, because Emily's a character, this literally the character who falls into doing bad things because she's, as much as she's trying to do the right thing, she just can't, like, she can't get a win. So she ends up becoming Emily the criminal. She starts up doing these small sort of gigs for this other dude who, like, gives her stolen credit cards and she's buying it and then he's selling it and whatever else. But then she wants in on that game herself and starts, like, forging the credit cards and whatever else. And next second, she's down a huge rabbit hole of the the crime world. And, um, I mean, you can probably guess it doesn't all go super well, um, insert drama. So, but yeah, it's just really, it's really great perf- uh, bunch of performances in the movie. It's shot really well, especially for this. It almost has this... um what do you call it? Gorilla style of sh- like, it feels like a gorilla style shooting of, you can just sell the, like set up the camera quickly and shot places, which I think is <laughs> what's happened for the majority of it from the budget I looked up for it. So, um, yeah, but I really enjoyed it. It's just a, it's, it's just a stone cold straight shooting, um, classic sort of thriller. Um, yeah, really enjoyable. And one of the best performances of the year, as far as I was concerned, Audrey Plaza in this one of my favorite performances of the year and ended up being one of my favorite movies. So, yeah. All right. Uh, I watched uh, Anonymous Club, which is a uh, documentary following the musician Courtney Barnett. Just uh, She's keeping a bunch of audio logs during her tours and that kind of stuff, and it's uh, kind of like a fly-on-the-wall kind of documentary, um, which takes place... I don't know the exact time, but it's pretty clear that part of it is taking place during COVID. <laughs> she's like, at some point, she just comes home for a long period of time. Um, it's not... There's, not, like, no dates anywhere, which is kind of 
kind of a jarring thing maybe uh, or it could just be something that proves to be timeless and like uh you know it in years later it's like oh it's just so happened that she was just home from tall so um as someone who has not really paid much attention to her work i only watched this movie because andrew from the curb was super high on it for a long period of time um i enjoyed it i think she's a very interesting character and she's got a very interesting perspective on the world and music and uh performing and that kind of stuff um and yeah uh very interesting like again that fly on the wall kind of thing and this like one of the mo- first scenes you see is like some guy comes up to comes to her at, like a fan meet and she wants to wants her to write the lyrics to one of her songs on a t-shirt on the on his back like a not like a line like a lengthy phrase <laughs> lengthy stanza like whole verse it's, it's a little bit weird uh but obviously it's super meaningful for him and that kind of stuff so uh yeah i would recommend checking that out so that is available now on apple iview no no abc iview they haven't been bought by apple yet <laughs> uh dylan you watch wildcat yeah watch wildcat ended up making our top five documentary picks of course as well as best 2022 um it's a prime video documentary about this uh, uh uk Dude, I can't remember his name. Uh, goes and joins the army, uh, goes to Vietnam, um, ends up getting discharged. Well, not discharged, like, I don't know. Let go because he's having, like, um, mental health problems, like, sort of PTSD sort of stuff from what else. Goes to... Fuck, I can't remember what country he goes to. He goes to a country. A country with forest. <laughs> I can't remember what country he goes to. <laughs> I feel like I should Google this because this is probably important. I feel like it's, like, fucking Peru or something fucking um some shit like that so uh young british shoulders in amazon rainforest where the fuck's the amazon rainforest (laughs) so south america somewhere um there so there he meets um he just hangs out and he starts doing a bunch of stuff there he sort of likes the the uh in brazil brazil there yeah (laughs) we're bad at geography we are very bad at geography um he meets a, a girl there and they sort of start having this relationship. She's a, um, I think she's, a, yeah, she's American, like sort of, um, so, uh, PT, uh, what the fuck she got? Like doing a PhD. Um, she's like doing, flying back and forwards and studies and she's sort of setting up a, um, uh, like animal rescue sort of thing there, which he joins up with. And the thing they end up doing is, um, they get this ocelot, like baby ocelot that they rescue from poachers. Um, and the, they try to be the first people to uh, successfully, and people say it's impossible to sort of, you know, like raise the ocelot to a certain age. Um, I think it's 18 months is how long it is. So after 18 months, the idea is to it's old enough to be able to uh, be released back into the wild. Uh, so the movie follows that, which is interesting by itself, because of course you get a lot of baby ocelot stuff in this that you would definitely never usually see. Um and then it's also following these characters in particular, the, um, I can't remember his name. Anyway, the main dude, um, who the, the film follows and like sort of his, him dealing with his PTSD and, um, of mental health issues. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a very interesting documentary in both the animal conservation part, but also the mental health aspect of it, I felt so. Yeah, I have some other things I could say, but they're like spoiler sort of things, but yeah, to do with so like 
Hume in particular that I thought was interesting, but yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, I would suggest watching if any of that sounds interesting. Uh, I watched A League of Her Own, which is a uh, small, a short documentary about the Queensland State of Origin Rugby League team uh, leading into their State of Origin game, I want to say in 2021. Um, just in the lead up, just following the team in camp, how they go about the selection process, and obviously discussing the how female uh, rugby league has uh, grown over the years um, from when the Jilleroos would have to literally pay to train, have to pay to actually go compete at World Cups and that kind of stuff off their own back and that kind of stuff to now where they were, I think they're being paid the exact same as men in State of Origin games. Um, yeah, it's a fine piece. I don't think it's like revolutionary in any way, but it's a fun it feels like an extended news report to a certain extent, like or a 60-minute or Australian story piece. Um, but it's enjoyable, and if you're a sports, Australian sports... If you like rugby league, it's worth checking out, I think. Uh, Dylan, you went out and watched Blueback. Probably should mention this earlier, but... In the Australian section? Yeah. It felt like we could have nearly... There's enough um, Australian film and TV shows. Uh, so Blueback is the newest film from uh, Robert Connolly, who was the director of, uh, what was it, 2021, The Dry? Uh, whatever, a couple of years ago, The Dry, a few other things, of course, as well. Uh, stars uh, Mia Wasikowski as this girl who returns to uh, home. I think it's, I can't remember what country, oh, sorry, state is, I think it's like New South Wales or somewhere around there. Um, sort of like this, this small small city vibe living on the living on the ocean um and she was brought up with uh, a mum played by uh Rada Mitchell uh who's fantastic uh as like sort of this you know love the sea love the animals love the you know sort of like uh, she's a she's a free spirit uh, <laughs> she she loves she loves everything um and that's why she was brought up and then as she grew older me cuz you you cut back and forth so you you're getting scenes as uh, Mia is the older Abby, and then you're getting um, who plays her? Let me look at it. So you both have Ariel Donahue playing the the young uh, little girl Abby. When you have those scenes, and then you have a lot more with um, Isla Fogg, who plays teenage Abby. And so it's mostly a split between teenage Abby and um, older Abby with Mia. So because Mia comes, older Abby comes back because her mother has been in hospital. Um, she had a stroke, I think, or something like that. Um, and she hasn't been speaking, so she just sort of comes back to see her mum. And while all this is happening, you're sort of having flashbacks. She's remembering things about her mum. And um, I'm the, I think the writing is like sort of comes into, you know, like, I don't know. It's hard to say about spoilers, but um, definitely there's lots of elements about just like life, remembering things, like what, what's important in life um, at the end of the day sort of thing. Um, the title, Blueback, is because... When she was young, Abby uh, goes down diving one day with her mum and they find this um, blue groper who she falls in love with. And blue gropers are these fucking massive looking funny fishes. If you ever like Google oh, okay. a picture of them. <laughs> They're like, just, <laughs> just, I don't know if, you, if, if you're like listening or something, I just go, go to, go to Google, type in blue, uh, uh, blue groper. And I guarantee the first picture you see will make you go, what the fuck is that? Because <laughs> they're, they're wild looking fish. Um, so she sort of friends one because they're, they're, they're friendly little things as much as they look like they could actually kill you. Um, uh, and 
she just comes visit all the time because blue gropers don't leave. Like they, they find one area, they actually live for a very long time and they just hang around that entire area. So she would always come and, and visit. It's like something that doesn't, doesn't move on. So I feel like, like thematically, it's this interesting thing between, you know, coming back to see her mum who's like towards the end of her life and whatever else. Meanwhile, you have this, uh, this blue grope. She's got blue back, a big past of her childhood, uh, something that never moved on. Like it's just, yeah, I thought it was a very interesting movie. It's shot very well. You got these really great performances. It has this Eric Banner shows up as, um, in a supporting role as this character Macca. He's hundred percent just doing his accent that he does for Chopper and the Chopper films. So it's really weird to listen to because they're like, ah, mate, there's all this sort of thing. And I'm like, it's just Chopper. Like you're just doing your Chopper voice. But anyway, it's fine. You're not actually a bad guy in this movie. You're just like a sort of, you know, you're sort of the crazy old man hanging around, but that that's totally fine. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a, it's a well shot, nice Australian film. Uh, so I finally got around to watching Senior Year, or Shithouses, it's called, uh, in America, Cooper Rafe's first film, uh, on the back of doing the lists for this year and having Cha-Cha Real Smooth at number 10. I'm like, I should probably go back and watch that first one. Um, Where did you find it? Because remember, I watched it. Okay, that's where it ended up, did it? Well, yeah, that's where it currently is, I think. Um, yeah, so it follows a university student is his first year of uni uh living away from his family someone who's very close to his family uh and he you know isn't really putting himself out there and opening himself up to the full uni experience uh he meets a girl they have an amazing night together and then you know things happen from there um i really interesting watching this when it's it's clearly a companion piece to cha-cha real smooth where it could be argued this some version of this character is the character that continue, goes on to play again in Cha Cha Real Smooth. Um, but yeah, I, I found it enjoyable. I remember you saying you didn't particularly enjoy the ending of the film, or you felt like it probably lasted a bit too long. I think that's fair. There is a clear like time jump that they probably didn't need uh, at the end of the movie. Um, but I enjoyed it for the most part. It's a very sweet movie. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, you watched... <laughs> it was still going. Uh, <laughs> sorry about the demon. Uh, sorry about the... Yeah, so I'll ha- I should hopefully have a review up. Um, I'm probably going to be around... I oh, know. Oh, I hate front out schools when I haven't finished it yet. But maybe around like a six would probably be my guesstimate. So this is a comedy horror and it definitely leaves a lot more on the comedy side. So the plot is this guy who's sort of kicked out of... Well, the, actually, the movie opens with this family and their little girl... Like, he seems like a normal, typical horror movie where this little girl, like, gets possessed by a demon and everyone's creeping around. But then the family, like, goes in and it's a, so the brother, the mum and the dad go into the room and they sort of talk with the demon and they're like, no, just let us have this little girl. We promise we'll uh, we'll get some other sucker to come... Um, you know, you can, you can take them instead. And then it does the whole like sort of cutaway thing where it's like, you know, what's, what sort of idiot will come move in this place if we like, they'll know something's up if we offer the house for so cheap and it cuts this other dude. And of course he's the idiot. So he gets, um, breaks up with his girlfriend and needs to find a place to live. And he sees this mansion, which the house is a typical haunted mansion sort of house. Um, super cheap. And he ends up deciding to stay there. Um, but he's a, He's just a dude who's just like, he's out for love. He's got lots of problems in his life. He's to the point that the demons don't really want him. <laughs> it's just, 
you know they th- he ends up deciding like i'm gonna i'm gonna fight the fight the demons and i'm gonna stay here and they, they don't really want to take his soul either because they like he's just a he's just too much for even them so um yeah it's a it's it's got some funny scenes what one part in particular did make me laugh so i can't like fault it too much i feel like it went for way too long and i think it's like an hour 45 and it definitely feels like hour 20 like I, you could definitely shave 20 minutes off this sucker in, in different places and it would have been a much better film at just a very tight 80 minutes um the it's just stretched like i was like why the fuck is this an hour 45 or hour 42 or whatever like way too long um but yeah for, for what it is it's it's quite enjoyable the lead character lead actor does a good job with the the sort of <laughs> odd character that he has to play um some fun performances by a few other people in this as well but um yeah it's 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 a hundred percent a comedy horror like uh, it, it, where the comedy is like 80 percent and it's like 20 percent horror so it's a ash could watch horror okay yeah uh you also watch speak no evil Oh fuck you off. I was like, what the fuck is this? Um, I've watched too many movies. This is the typical first episode of what do you want to watch for me? Yeah. I'm like, fuck it. I'm getting into the stage, I'm forgetting what I'm watching. Uh Speak No Evil, yeah, this is really cool. This is uh so this is I can't remember I think they're like Danish or some shit. Um, but they're like on a holiday somewhere, this family, it's uh mum, dad, and the little girl, I think. Yeah, little girl. Um they're on this holiday, they meet this other family. Um, they like go out for dinner, they like really hit it off. They get along so well. Everyone goes back to their own countries, homes, or whatever. Um, and then they get a letter from them or email that's like, hey, we love hanging out with you. Would love, if you'd love to visit us in whatever country they're in, I can't remember. Um, you know, it's, they're all like European countries. It's not like America, Australia. There's like a European, neighboring European countries, not flying halfway across the world. But if you'd love to visit us over here, would love to have you. Um, and they're like, yeah, this sounds great. We had like such a great time hanging around with them. Let's go visit them um their 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 mom dad and a a son um there um and when they get there shit just is a very uncomfortable movie this is not an ash movie this is a (laughs) this is a everything's this is a i mean i i thought it was great but this is a get there you think everything's fine and then the dad will just say fucking weird uncomfortable shit and you're like what the fuck and then it's just it's a very weird movie for the majority and not even like weird stuff happening you're just like what the fuck is even going on like why are these people who were normal a second ago just like what the hell like these people are just so odd now like what is what is going on so um of course there's like there's an answer to all this by the time you get to the end of the movie and like yeah it's it's a wild ending to why everything's going on but um yeah it's it's a weirdly uncomfortable movie for the majority of it so definitely not an ash movie but if you like right. good movies unlike ash uh <laughs> this is a good this is a high quality uh thriller it's it's not like a, it's not like a full brand horror movie there's like one bit of like gore in it but otherwise like it's it's just a uncomfortable thriller okay uh and then you also watched the 1953 film the war of the worlds um yeah i should have a review up for this i got sent a 4k the i gotta post that up soon i got sent oh, a 4k uh yeah so i got sent a 4k version of the film that just came out um 4k restoration version um with new updated audio and everything like that and i was like i've never watched this i've always wanted to it's always been on those list of old movies that i'm like I should, one day i should there's always so much to watch hash you know what i mean there's always so much to watch. um i actually didn't hate it i kind of was going to be honest i was i thought i'll come into this and be like this movie is probably just going to have aged terribly um and there, it, it kind of hasn't. Like a lot of the special effects, of course, they don't look great because of the age. But like for the for the, I, I think a lot of them um, hold up. My only pro- problem is I just feel like the, this movie 
has some the worst fucking ending I think I've ever seen. Or like one of the worst endings I, I swear I've ever seen. And this movie's old as fuck, so I'm spoiling it. So if you don't like, like if you want don't want War of the Worlds 1953 spoiled, skip ahead. But you go through this whole movie and you have this like scientist main character, he's got love interest and whatever else. They're trying to stop the of course if you don't know the plot of War of the Worlds, it's aliens invade Earth. Um, they, like, that's the that is the setup. Um and then at the end, they're like this. They're in a church and they're like praying and they're hugging and kissing. They're like, "Oh no, we're gonna die!" And then there's aliens outside. And they're like sh- fucking UFOs just shooting fucking buildings down. And then one just crashes. And then they go out and they pull out. The, you see a little alien, little dead hand dangle. And next thing, they just cuts the voiceover. They're like, "The aliens couldn't handle our germs, so they fucking died." Anyway, credits. Like I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> just happened? Like. <laughs> like Okay. It's the most like sort of out of nowhere ending, and I've no idea if that's how it worked in the original, um, the audio play or drama, or whatever, um, or even the book, I guess, or anything like that. I don't know how much has changed. I don't. I'm not a world of worlds. I've seen the the, um, the uh, Tom Cruise movie, of course, the, the, the Spielberg one, but yeah. So this is nothing like that movie, by the way. So if, if you if you've only watched the Spielberg one, like I have, this 1953 version, absolutely nothing at all in common that's completely different so um the audio design is really good on this 4k disc that i got i'll say that like i was very surprised at the like how good the mix was considering the age of the movie so um not something i don't feel like i should give two fucks about um much like 4k in general but very good all right i don't know if we really need to talk about this there was one thing that showed up in your tract that i need to ask about though is it the my fucking penis is huge one my giant cock. <laughs> Saw the show up on stand. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you got me. You got my attention. What is this? It's nice. It sounds like name of porno. So I click on it. It was 42 minutes. My I'm massive like, cock. I apologize. My massive cock. There you go. Yeah, sorry. No, I do apologize for my massive cock. Um, the. the <laughs> um, the. It's a BBC, I think, or Channel 4, I can't remember. And it was a bit British uh, TV documentary that's just randomly shown up on stand. Um, I sort of was half paid was attention it to it. Yeah, it was. It was on the front page. I think I searched for it. <laughs> it, was, it, was it could have just been under the new. Yeah, maybe. Like, I, all I know is I clicked on stand, it was there, and I went, all right, that title has my attention. What the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> yeah. I clicked on it, and it was 42 minutes, and it was before I went to the cinema to watch Babylon. And I, I had like an hour to kill, right? And I saw it was 42 minutes. I'm like, I can chuck that on the background because I want to know. I at least want to watch like 10 minutes of this. I want to know what this is. But then I chucked it on. And I, just, I was sort of engaged from that, that point, pseudo engaged. It's about a bunch of dudes who have massive cocks, right? But it's not a joke. It's like a, it follows one dude who actually wants to get, uh, like make it smaller. And it, it is the, the point of the documentary is all about like how the, their, their dicks are so big that it's actually, it's similar to, I guess, to when you hear about women who have really big boobs, it's like, guys like, oh, fucking big boobs, dude, now fuck it. But then they're like, you know, get back pain and like, it's like gives them life problems. So it's like these dudes like having to buy special types of underwear. Um, they don't have a lot of sex because women don't actually like it or some will just be in too much pain. Like it's, um, uh, some dude wants to get it smaller, uh, f- 
reasons. Another dude like talks about how like he doesn't like his friends or like he plays like AFL or whatever, and his friends like if he's in the shower, they all make fun of him and they they don't like it. Actually, brings his mental health down. Like it was a serious document. There was a serious documentary mm. with a ridiculous title. Like my mind, like it just grabs your attention straight away. Yes, but it was it was a serious like it was a straight to TV documentary. You could tell that like it was obviously on at ten o'clock on Channel Four or whatever in the UK, but um. I mean, as weird as it sounds, I'd, like it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Like I would, I wouldn't say don't watch it. I thought it was interesting. So. All right, uh, Dylan, you can get a, take a break. You know, get a drink. Thank God. Put your feet up. So I'm going to be talking about some anime. Okay. Yeah. Curious ideas. Uh, I only got two two things that I really want to talk about. Uh, first is Blue Lock. So this is a new anime series uh, about a young man. Uh, like a 16 year old uh isagi who plays soccer football um in high school uh and as part of uh the japanese football union decides as in order to progress further than they have in the world cup they need to have a fantastic striker uh for the next to to be a force in international football so this maniac person they put in charge decides he's going to take every single youth foot striker in the country and stick them in this uh, facility and they're going to f- like battle it out, battle royale style, until the most egotistical, strongest striker reigns supreme. Uh, so yeah, it, it is a weird Hunger Games-esque scenario featuring football. Um where all these people want to be the best striker, but they have to work together in certain ways. Um, I think it's really creative the way that it like has all these different scenarios. It feels a little very different to any other sports animes running at the moment. Of course, there's this threat of elimination uh, because the risk is if they fail in Blue Lock, uh, they'll never be able to play for a professional Japanese team ever. Um, so there's their whole future is riding on this, uh, like literally, and you can see it like. Uh, how high stakes it is. There's some crazy twists and turns and betrayals and stuff like that. I think it's uh, very, very fun. Uh, so I've been checking that out. I think it's 14 episodes in so far. Uh, so that's really good. Uh, and then I've gotten into Kaguya-sama, Love is War. So this is a romantic comedy mung- uh, anime um, between uh, the student council president, uh, Shiragane, and the vice prince president, uh, Shinomiya, um, who have clearly in love with each other and have, but neither wants to confess to the other. So they play like mental games against each other to get the other one to confess their love. Um, which is a very amusing, uh, series of events. Each, ep- each like 20 minute episode is broken up into three different shorts. Um, so it, it's very fast moving and lots, little, very, lots of very funny scenarios. You've got the other like school council members and stuff who come in and there's like awkward situations and misunderstandings and all the classic rom-com trope kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm like a, a season and a half in. It's three seasons, I believe. So yeah, yeah I'm really digging it. Uh, so yeah, if you've got a country Russell's Christian, I think it's worth checking out if you haven't already. All right, before we move into... Our Netflix segments. Can we bring back one segment that we haven't done in a long time? Dylan's favorite segment. Films Dylan can finally watch. Finally. At last. It's about time. 
It's been 84 years. And Dylan, you could finally watch Barbarian on Disney+. Plus. Sure, I could finally watch Barbarian. Um, very good. I sort of struggle to talk about the movie because I don't want to spoil it. And that's sort of the, the gig with this movie. is they, they, they did some very smart marketing and trailers for this movie, so I don't want to spoil it. Um, but it is basically about a character who goes to an Airbnb and then the worst thing that could ever happen at an Airbnb happens, um, I guess is the, it sort of plays on fears, I guess, of like the, the things that could go wrong with an Airbnb. Cause she shows up and there's other guy there and you're like, okay, well, this is it awkward? What do we do now? Like, do we, do we leave? But it's late at night. Where should she go? Um, and it's just, it has, it has some really wild directions it takes. It is a, it's a horror movie that's not afraid to just swing for the fences and, and it is utterly enjoyable. Like, I wouldn't say it's, like, it's tense. It's not super scary. It's tense, but it also just is, it's fun. Like, it's a, it's a roller, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like, if you look at horror movies with roller coaster rides, you have some roller coaster rides but that, you, they, that you look at and you go, that's sort of scary, but also it will be enjoyable. And you look at other ones and you go, that's fucking too much. No, thank you. I'm not doing that. This is more in the category of like, it's a wild ride, but you'll have a lot of fun watching it at the same time. And yeah, Barbarian's definitely a movie from last year that you should watch no trailers for and just sit down and watch uh, and you will get the utmost out of it. All right. Well, with that said, let's jump to our mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Uh... Releasing Christmas Day was a Christmas present for us all. Matilda the Musical, and the uh, film version of the musical that is based on the Roald Dahl book, which itself was adapted into a 1996 film directed by Danny DeVito, starring Danny DeVito and Peter Wilson. No, Peter, I want to say Wilson, but it, that doesn't sound right. Little girl who was in, like, all the 90s movies. She was in it. <laughs> Matilda. Yeah. Uh, and this one, music written by Tim Minchin, uh, starring, it's got Ebba Thompson and Lashana Lynch, uh, and I think the young girl is Alicia Weird, Weir, who's like- Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham's in it as well. I really enjoyed it. I think it's a fun time. There's a lot of catchy, like, fun songs I've been listening back to. It It's interesting, obviously, as someone who's listened to Tim Minchin, like, perform for several, like, many years- you can hear his voice in a lot of the songs or like yeah. a lot of the way they're written and delivery like the cleverness of a lot of the words and that kind of stuff like even like there's the song where they go through the alphabet is like that's such a tim mention a tim mention song that's like um but yeah i thought i thought it was pretty fantastic uh really good musical and uh yeah i had a good time Dylan. What did you think of Matilda Musical? Uh, this was such a, a joy. I actually, so I've, obviously I've never seen the play. I know people say it's good, but I actually went to this expecting it to just be like mediocre at best, but I, I was still going to watch it because I love the, like obviously I read the book as a kid and I love the 96 movie. I've watched that like a million times. Yep. So love Matilda. Um, went to this expecting it to be okay. I was just blown away. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Like all of the songs, which I'd never heard before, which obviously from the, the play, um uh, just yeah that uh, yeah i like tim minchin the tim minchin songs so that's like it's just glorious it's sort of tim minchin 
comedic timing on wordplay, I guess. Um, but the cast is also just absolutely fantastic. Like Alicia Weir's Matilda, I think, is very, very good. Definitely different to the 96 movie version, but not in a bad way. It's just different. That's fine. Um, Emma Thompson's Agatha Trunchbull is fucking spectacular. <laughs> just, <laughs> she is fucking having the time of her life. Uh, Lashana Lynch's Miss Honey is 100% Miss Honey. It's the the warmth and care that you want to feel from that character of just this person being pure goodness, and that's what that that character's supposed to fill you with. I love that Lashana, Lashana, uh, Lashana Lynch can both have this performance where she's just so just lovable and this caring person, and you sort of feel sorry for her, and you just want her and Matilda to be together forever and that's sort of what you're supposed to, you feel in the 96 movie yeah. and you know that's all that's you just want her to be with her and not her fucking shitty parents um uh like i love how she can do that while also being in the woman king where she's just this brutal warrior and stuff like what a range that woman has yeah. um and stephen graham who is at times can play scary as fuck like gangster characters and then also appear in this and play um uh mr wormwood uh, is just a like, total buffoon yeah <laughs> total buffoon but he does it so well like and that's the the back and forth i love also the other thing i really like about this in comparison to the 96 movie is actually le- less focus on the wormwood family and more time actually at the the school because like you don't have mm. the going to the car yard you don't have all the these other sorts of directions like he, i think it's because danny devito directed himself obviously you put maybe more time on those characters and stuff like that but this movie spends a lot more time at the school, especially when the majority of the songs happen there and whatnot. Um, you've also got the character, um, the librarian. I don't remember the character's name. Like obviously the yeah the traveling uh, librarian that she's sort of friends with as well. And uh, yeah, I I love this movie. This was like a a late second surprise as the, uh, and straight away went onto my shortlist for some of my favorite movies of the twenty twenty two. So very good. Yeah, I think yeah, it's it's been interesting. Uh, like hearing like some of the discussion around it and how like it's one obviously there's the telekinetic element of it that is very reduced to what it was in the 96 film probably because they had to somehow do it on stage (laughs) and it's much harder to do on stage than it is to do uh on film uh but also like how much uh you can clearly see that this matilda's like much more mentally has been through the mental ringer with her parents um yeah. and like uh it's a lot darker than the 90s it is kind of darker yeah. yeah did you have a favorite song oh fuck that's hard isn't it oh no nah, that's too hard i can't no they're all very good i'd have to think harder about that yeah uh first instinct is probably quiet but i do love uh when i grow up that's a great song as well yeah. so uh dylan you checked out White Noise, the newest film by Noah Bombach, starring uh, Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig. That's it. Yes, even I forgot who was in this movie for a hot moment. Um, This is a weird movie, which is apparently based (laughs) on a weird book that people thought would be really hard to adapt. And I think that's the case, because it is... I don't know, to be honest. Like, did I enjoy it at times? At other times, I don't know what I was watching. It's three movies in one. It changes genres, like, like just at snap of a finger. Um, the point of the, the, the point of the whole movie sort of maybe is lost on me to a degree. Um, they're good performances, sure. But yeah, I, 
I I would say ultimately it went in, I, it lost me by the end to the point the movie the credits started rolling and I I sort of already zoned out I'd stopped caring so um, that's where I am with this one sorry all right uh so I've binge watched <laughs> the newly released that seventy show that ninety show sorry which is a s- sequel series to that seventy show uh, which of course was a big uh, hit in the 2000s spawned a bunch of careers um yeah so it follows eric and donna's daughter who comes to go visit her grandparents uh for fourth of july weekend she meets a bunch of new friends in uh paradise point um where uh the kids from that 70 show where the town that 70 show was set uh and she decides she wants to stay there for the summer because she's made all these new friends and she doesn't really have any friends uh at where she currently lives with her parents um so yeah it follows her summer they're meeting all these new friends and having very similar adventures to what they had in this that 70 show um i enjoyed it uh like it's only been out four days or something and i've watched all 10 episodes so i mean uh, that has to speak for something uh there is a little bit of the nostalgia elements of it like there's obviously a lot of cameos from uh like turf grace and laura prepper on uh, Wilma Vandrama, Ashley Kutcher, and Mila Kunis show up for a quick second. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, there's like some 90s references, and they're like all wearing flannel and <laughs> listening to 90s songs and that kind of stuff. Uh, but the, you know, there's still the classic elements of them all smoking weed in the basement, uh, and that kind of stuff. So I enjoyed it. I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been getting pretty harsh reviews, I think. Like, um, I think it's enjoyable enough. Obviously, uh, Kurt Woodsmith and Deborah Joe Rupp, they, it's like they put their, they've straight back in that groove, um, of what they did in that show. Um, but yeah, I, I had a good time. I think it's a, a you know, if you've got nostalgia for that show, give it a shot. I, I enjoy uh, some of the kids because it's all like a whole new batch of kids, uh, in the basement. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Uh, so we've both watched the hatchet wielding hitchhiker. So do you, did you remember the hatchet wielding hitchhiker? Did you know this story before going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. not the full story, but like, I, I knew the You meme. saw the viral video back in the I've day. I've seen the viral, I've seen the, I know the meme, I know the dude was in prison. Like, that was Okay. Yeah, I knew the basic, yeah. So yes, at some point, this guy stops a dude from murder, like, attacking some people with a hatchet by smashing him on the back of the head. He gets interviewed by a news crew, and he, does, he says he stopped him by going, smash, and smash, and smash, and it becomes a viral hit. Uh, he's a uh, nomad who goes around the country, uh, living off other people's goodwill and that kind of stuff. Uh, and he becomes kind of a celebrity because of this. Um, and there's all these different entertainment crews trying to get him uh, to do reality shows or just appear in Jimmy Kimmel and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it kind of goes into that and then eventually gets uh, accused of murder. <laughs> and it, yeah. Uh, I think it's a very interesting story. <laughs> a wild story. I don't know who's telling the truth in certain regards. Is he Was he actually guilty? I would say probably. Uh, but is there a reason why he did the actions that he did? We, we guess we'll never know really, but... Um, 
fascinating story, especially if, like me, you maybe missed some of the what actually happened. Uh, yeah, I thought it was an okay documentary. I feel like it doesn't touch on the... So the, mo- the most interesting story and the direction for documentary, and maybe they couldn't do it, maybe they're just going to make it happen, maybe it relies too much on more information, but, I mean, that's sometimes documentaries require a lot of digging and information, that's the whole point, but the the, 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 the centerpiece is to this is, okay, well, he's, he's, um, he's in jail for killing someone. Why do you kill that person? When you boil it back, it's um, potentially to do with what happened to him as a kid and, like... The cause and effect, and of course, that's not an excuse for what he did. Um, if you believe he did it, which is up for debate, I guess. But um, that's sort of the most interesting. Or I say interesting, like that's a nice subject. But like as far as documentary goes, that would have been the the only the way to peel yeah. away and the most compelling direction to take a documentary. But it's sort of just the the final Very like that. Then they're just like, and that's a thing. Like that could be a possibility. Also, blah blah blah. Here's that woman talking about how she used to be executive producer on Kim Kardashian's again and credits. Like it's yeah, sort of it's very vapid documentary, I feel. Alright. Uh speaking of some other documentaries, you watched Descendant. Yeah, this was really this was interesting. So this is oh, fuck, I can't remember the the town and the do you have the do you have IMDB open with the town or just Nope. I'm sure. I'm gonna find it. Um all right, so IMDb, follow descendants of survivors from the Clotilda, the last ship that carried enslaved Africans to the United States as they reclaim the story. So, yeah, it sort of follows these bunch of people that live in, and they made, like, a town there, wherever, like, in this American city or this town, wherever it is, like, in the south, I think. Um, they make, like, there was this place called African Town, which was the, like, where some of the uh, the slaves at the time, like, set up a place, sort of met, went to make it Africa, um, but then... The, the, there's this bunch of people who are descendants from the potential last slave ship to ever enter America, um, but that the, this last ship wasn't actually supposed to come in. They, they were they're at the, this was after the time they said, "All right, no more slavery." Like, no more. No, hold on, no more. They didn't say no more. So they said no more bringing in slaves from Africa. Um, but these other people, apparently, um, the story goes that they snuck in a bunch of uh slaves on a ship and the this this to this town and there's a story like it's potentially buried at the the bottom of the ocean here so the story um it goes with the people who uh are trying to discover this like how they go deep sea diving to find proof for this um the descendants of the those slaves at the time their family members and how they sort of want their history to be recognized um as a reality of america and um and all these sorts of interesting directions. So yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really intriguing and interesting, uh, interesting story. Yeah. All right. I watched Pepsi. Where's my jet? This is a documentary series. I went from uh, racism and slavery, <laughs> and he went to Pepsi, and they do tie in together because Kendall Jenner did use them to end. <laughs> yeah, he did. So. She did stop racism yeah, uh, with Pepsi. Uh, so this is about a. So in the 1990s. Uh, Pepsi ran a promotion where you could, like, if you cut the labels off, you could get, a, like, Pepsi points. Uh, and then you could trade in these Pepsi points for, like, T-shirts or sunglasses or, you know, any merch and that kind of stuff. Pretty, you know, standard kind of promotion. Uh, but they ran an ad in which uh, they have a kid flying to school in a Harrier jet. And it's 7 million, no, 70 million points you can get this Harrier jet. Uh Unfortunately, they did not put any disclaimers on the ad saying that, you know, the jet is not actually for sale. 
So this kid's like, hey, I want to get a Harry Jet. So he founds a way to get the 70 million points, sends it in. Pepsi's like, nah, we're not giving you a jet. So he proceeds to take them to court. And this follow, kind of follows the court case and like the the media buzz around the story, um, all the characters, like what, you know, why could, couldn't he get the jet and kind of the lasting influence this ca- case actually had where now it's being, it's a, something that gets taught in like law school and that kind of stuff for like uh, different legal elements and that kind of stuff. So um, I think it's interesting. Uh, interesting story. I think it probably, they kind of stretch it out maybe a bit. It's like four episodes. It probably could have condensed it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, there's some wild stories. They bring up a whole marketing campaign they had in the Philip. Yeah. I think it was the Philippines that like Pepsi like completely fucked over a bunch of people. Um, as like a reason why they should have to pay for this jet and that kind of stuff. And there's like heaps of different characters involved, uh, in the story, which make it an interesting thing. And then they've got this weird thing through the entire series where they, whenever they have a new interviewer, they like do a blind taste test of like Coke and Pepsi to see which one they like more. That's what these fucking clips are. I've seen these clips on Twitter and it's from this, is it? Okay. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I've seen clips from this. I swear, like if it's a taste testing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Pepsi, where's my jet? It's a good question. Uh, <laughs> Dylan, you watch Downfall, the case against Boeing. Yeah, this was really interesting. It sort of follows the um, Boeing company and their particular jet. I can't remember the exact number of it, but, you know, like seven, nine, whatever. Um, jet, which they have one crash. This was a couple of years ago. I think it was, I think this is, mm, I don't know, maybe this starts around 2017 or something like that. It's not like super old, but they start having, uh, like one crashes and a bunch of, like they all die. And that's like really sad and horrible. And of course they, they sort of, you know, like they do an investigation and they, they try and say it's this and that. And it sort of covers how Boeing, um, covered all these elements up and they continued to fly this particular plane and not ground them until they could find the the cause because they they want to make money of course um like any company um but because of the the lack of let's ground these particular plane until we can find the cause because we can't actually figure out what caused the the plane to crash in this case um because sometimes it's, i guess easier than others um another one crashes and they die and then um uh, eventually then it even, um, they all get grounded all around the, they end up having to call them all back. There's this whole court case, um, uh, covering it. You've got people appearing in court, you know, these, this awful scene you have to watch where, um, of course the, the big head suit wearing people from Boeing have to, they're sitting in a courtroom and you get the people who want to speak on behalf of their family members who died to sort of, sort of say like what their, their lack of due diligence when it came to like, like the first time was like, they would have been in trouble anyway. Like for the, there's a lack of testing that went on anyway, but the, especially the second plane where it's like, let's just keep flying before we can figure it out. So, but what it comes down to is just cost cutting, inability to test these things properly, the just desire to make money, like just the, the lack of care for human life over money, you know? So, um, I found it really interesting, but yeah, again, makes you feel like shit. <laughs> uh, then you also watched our father. The yeah. You watched this one, right? Yes. 
Yeah, this was fucked up, huh? Yes. Yeah, it's insane. This so for people who don't know, this one's uh about this small American town where this well it starts with one woman who starts trying to track down her dad because she's a biological father biological father sorry um track down her biological father and she ends up tracing it back to this uh, fertility doctor and then from that moment on it just fucking spiraled like it just i swear there's only five and like it's it was a fertility doctor who was using his own sperm and then he starts saying it was only for times when the, they couldn't get an actual donor and then suddenly it's just it spirals from there to the point that you're like man everyone in this radius i'm pretty sure are all related to each other and will be for the rest of history unless they all decide to move to different states and countries because yeah that's just yeah yeah that the the counter that keeps going up yeah pretty scary throughout the movie yeah and they they say at the time of the movie, this is what the count is at the end, and it's still growing. So yeah, because uh, obviously the ra- the like the ancestry dot com and like twenty three and me and that kind of stuff has helped yeah. uh, people find out that they're related to this terrible person. So it's even worse when you find out that the like the daughter of like one of them like it's like the daughter of someone who was who thought the father's so she- sperm had been used. Yeah. No, well, yeah, that. She thought it would be in, like, someone else's. But I was thinking that there's one, a, a woman, who her mum had used the same fertility doctor, but she didn't know. But then the daughter oh, uses yeah. the fertility doctor. And that means that... You know what that means. Like, that's... That, no, <laughs> just, yes. That, yes. Yeah, so it's very fucked up. up is what it is. Yeah. And why the reason why he's doing it? I mean, I think we... Like, you, you put your hand up, but, like... They dig into why, and it basically comes down to his fucking part of some fucked up weird oh, yeah, cult right. to I forgot about that part. fucking make sure the white race is living on and whatever else. Like, just absolute yep. fucking insanity. So. so, yeah. That's craziness. Uh, Segwaying from that, I checked out the second season of Last Chance You Basketball, uh, which follows a, uh, like a community college basketball team over their season. Um, Follows on from the events of the last season, like, uh, obviously with COVID kind of being in between, so it's a whole new cast of players. Um, yeah, just really fun, enjoyable series, obviously, that's a lot of kids who have had a lot of hardship and, you know, struggle sometimes in this team environment, um, especially because of the format of basketball, there's 12 players on the squad, there's only five people playing at any given time, um, people struggling with uh, not getting enough playing time and that kind of stuff, a uh, chance to showcase their skills. Um, yeah, I think it is probably one, prob- it's up there as one of the better uh, Netflix sports documentary shows that they do currently. So, uh, yeah, that's really good. Um, I also watched The Recruit, which dropped right before, right after we recorded our last episode. So this follows uh, Noah Centineo's Sen- character, has just started working as a lawyer at the CIA. He uh, is tasked with, like, checking a bunch of, like, letters sent to the CIA making threats and, like, to see if they're, like, actual viable threats or, like, something that can actually be carried out or just, like, bullshit. Um, And he soon finds himself in a massive, like, international scene kind of thing and kind of gets in way over his head. Um, 
dealing with foreign spies and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, I really enjoyed it. Rodolfo Centineo, I think, is a very charming dude uh, for the most part. Of course, people know him from uh, the Bo- To All the Boys I Ever Love series. Um, but yeah, I think this is a really good role for him. Uh, he does get the action- chance to do like action kind of stuff, but like still be like, he's still just a lawyer. <laughs> A young kid who's a law- just out of law school, uh, but he's in these crazy like action-packed sequences where he's getting chased by dudes with guns and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it was a really solid series. Uh, Dylan, you watched The Wonder, starring Florence Pugh. Yeah, um, what an actress. You know what I mean? Have I just said that Florence Pugh is a good actress before? I think you have, yeah. That's good. Um, so this, be- this is... Sorry? Once or twice. Once or twice, okay. Um, the Wonder set during, fuck, I don't know, like early 19s or late 18s or, you know, some shit like that back in the, back in the day. Um, it's about this, um, there's, she plays a nurse who gets called to this small town because there's apparently a kid who hasn't been, hasn't eaten anything for, I think at the time, like three, four months. And so she's called there from the... Uh, she's called upon there as well as a nun um, who are both to take turns, like sort of eight hour, 12 hour shifts or whatever it is, being with this child, watching her and making sure that, you know, like, is this real? Like, cause the, from the church aspect, they're like, man, if someone's able to not eat, are they like a fucking, you know, are they the fucking second coming of Jesus or some shit? I don't know. Um, and then from her aspect, she's there to sort of watch and watch over the, the child. Like, is she okay? Like, is she, is she actually healthy? Like if she's not eating, like is she, is she actually surviving? Like, how's this all working? So it's like, um, it's like a, a mystery thriller, I guess, like set during the, like a, a period piece, mystery thriller. Um, it's, it's very good. Um, Florence Pugh gives an amazing performance in this. She has such like versatility as an actress. It's it's crazy. Um, it's hard to say too much about spoiling it, but yeah, some really beautiful cinematography, especially for something that's set like a period piece cinematography. Um, little use of music and stuff, but it's just it's just a really interesting mystery character piece. Um, I like the way it all came together at the end. I was I felt satisfied with the the conclusion, um, if you want to call it that. But yeah, very good. Uh, you also watched The Pale Blue Eye, starring Christian Bale. Yes, yeah, so this is the Christian Bale, um, again, a period piece, I guess. Uh, or, well, it's not really a period. Is it, is it like the Civil War area period? I guess so, I don't know. Um, it's a period. Uh, Christian Bale plays this character who's called upon by the, I don't know, like the military, I guess, to come to their, their military school um, where a body had been found hung uh but more so than just that it had also been found with the heart cut out the heart was missing so he sort of plays a detective trying to figure out the case uh around here now the standout from this movie is what's his name old mate neville or whatever his name is fucking um from harry fucking harry potter movies the what's his name harry something or whatever Oh, uh, uh, Harry Melling, Melling. yeah, Harry Melling plays Edgar Allan Poe in this, so that's the 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 time, like the real author, poet Edgar Allan Poe, who's played by Harry Melling in this, because Edgar Allan Poe in real life was 
he was in the cadets for a time and like I of course it's just this isn't actually a true story that happened to him but it's just sort of those like tying in real world figures and whatever else but so he sort of is recruited by Christian Bale's character to sort of help him on his case on the, on the sly because he thinks he can trust him um, and then of course more bo- dead bodies start turning up so it's it's like a it's a filler murder mystery set during the um, yeah set during this particular period tying in Edgar Allan Poe I thought it was okay it's definitely too long it drags um i don't think christian bale's like particularly good in this like he's like it's not saying he's bad i just feel like i just i just feel like he brought anything to the the role and maybe that's the point i don't know like i just i didn't feel like he was a particularly interesting character and by the time you get to the end of the movie i almost feel like i needed someone else for for the ending of this movie and the way that it it wraps up for it to work for me i needed i I sort of needed something else from the performance and he just didn't deliver it to me however harry melling is fantastic he's almost too much like in some scenes he is meant to be annoying like as a character but he is really fucking annoying (laughs) like but it's sort of he just talks and talks and talks he'll fucking yap your ear off so um yeah it's it's a it's an interesting movie i don't know if i i would suggest it to everyone but yeah if you like mysteries murder mysteries i guess all right. Uh, so, again, we recorded we recorded our last episode right before Christmas. Uh, I watched Who Killed Santa, a Murderville mystery, murder mystery. Who Killed Santa, a Murderville murder mystery. This is a like movie length follow up to Murderville, which was a series in which Will Arnett plays Detective Terry Seattle, and who gets uh teamed up with, like, a celebrity guest partner detective. Uh, it's a bunch of improv situations where, you know, they have to solve a mystery, but they're thrown into a bunch of sets and that kind of stuff without any knowledge of what they're going into. Uh, this time, uh, Santa, the the Santa at the mayor's Christmas party gets murdered the night, the night before Christmas, the night before he's meant to go deliver a bunch of uh, presents to orphans. Uh, so Terry Seattle and Jason Bateman... Uh, gets tasked with the task of figuring out how who murdered Santa Claus, uh, and then Maya Rudolph gets uh, added into the mix uh, as an extra detective to make sure they solve the the case before Christmas. Um, very funny. Uh, obviously, Will Arnett, and Jason Bateman have a lot of history, so you know a lot of jokes, and they're trying very hard to make each other laugh this entire episode uh, and succeed a lot because there is clearly a lot of like trying to hide their faces at certain points because they're like only doing like one or two takes of stuff um very enjoyable uh the icing on top is they get uh sean hayes to play santa (laughs) so they get him to come in and play a dead body (laughs) uh because obviously i think jason bateman will arnett and sean hayes have like a podcast together is a thing yeah i believe so they do like a you know, talking heads kind of thing. Um, like, bullshit podcast. Uh, like, like a couch between the cushions which you can find on all good podcast services. Um, so yeah, there's a point where, you know, he's lying on the ground, supposed to be dead, but, you know, he's just corpsing and laughing. <laughs> it's like, Jason Bateman's like, oh, maybe I can give him mouth to mouth. Sure, he's got this massive candy cane stuck in his chest, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of fun. It's a good time. I would recommend watching it next Christmas if you didn't watch it this Christmas. Uh, and then, Dylan, you finished watching Wednesday. 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, Wednesday was good. I like the way it wrapped up. Definitely look forward to the second season. Um, I don't know if that kid will be in it because I've seen him getting cancelled yep. on Twitter today, but that's <laughs> a whole different thing. Um, I don't really know how much I can't remember how much I said last time, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting take on, on on Wednesday. I sort of enjoy the again the 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 teen vibe, I guess, direction like the everyone talked about it being like Harry Potter but Wednesday and whatever else like all these it's just it's got that school teen vibe that Riverdale vibe or, or whatever um and that works like I fell off Riverdale because it got stupid but like <laughs> could I survive a few more seasons of Wednesday probably as long as it doesn't go too too far down the rabbit hole but um yeah obviously Jenna Ortega is the the key piece of this because if the performance of Wednesday wasn't as good as it was I don't feel like everything else in the show would would be as enjoyable like she is the glue like the perfect casting glue that makes the entire show work. Yep. All right. That's everything in our watch history. Wow. Wow. That's a new record. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, I've only got one piece of film news that I kind of wanted to touch on this week, uh, because you know, it has been very quiet over the Christmas period and like, thank God a lot of the biggest stuff is out of date. Uh, but the screen actors guild, uh, is going to be streamed live on Netflix in 2023. It seems like they're making a bigger push uh, for live content. They're starting with Screen Actors Guild Awards. Uh, This year, they'll be streaming it, but on their YouTube channel. Uh, So in a statement, Netflix head of global TV, Bella Bajara, uh, said, The SAG Awards are beloved by the creative community and viewers alike, and now even more fans around the world will be able to celebrate these talented actors. As we begin to explore live streaming on Netflix, we look forward to partnering with SAG-AFTRA, to elevate and expand this special ceremony as a global live event in 2024 and the years to come. Uh, Dylan, what do you think of Netflix pushing into live uh, events content? Because, of course, they've got that Chris Rock special that they've been pushing out as well as their first kind of foray into live content. Uh, yeah, I think it's smart. I think it's, a good, I think it's a good idea. It gets people to tune in. Like, It's sort of funny because the whole idea of streaming, of course, is you watch it whenever you want. It's there. Mm-hmm. We drop every fucking episode at a time. You can watch it all at once or you can watch it later. And now they're like, here's a thing. You have to watch it at the exact same time with everyone else at this particular thing. So it's funny, but I definitely feel like in a world where they already do so much stand-up comedy content, they always, they do uh, concert content, like a concert documentary content. It's like, why not start performing in the, the live category? And then you just have that content roll over into being... Uh, available for viewing anyway afterwards like you're drawing a bunch of viewers at one time because the thing is with netflix they want those they want those first what couple two week hits right Mm. that's when that that's when it matters them anything after that they don't give two fucks so if they can draw in for a a particular show they can draw in a fuck ton of people to watch it and then they still get views afterwards that they don't really care about but they get the initial like commitment by people that's what they want so um yeah i I think it's I, i don't feel like I feel like it's a good market to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Obviously, the SAG Awards are a pretty big ones, so I'd make it easily available to everyone is, like, super good for them. For Netflix, pushing into live content, I think I've read other places, and I tend to agree that they're looking at building that platform, like, building up their live video, net, like, streaming uh, infrastructure because they want to make a bit more of a push into actual acquiring sports. And like having having exclusive rights to some sporting league to have on Netflix, um, because it's obviously smart. sport is a big big draw everywhere around the world. 
Yeah. Uh, so if they can find some spot to stick on their service and be able to show it live, uh, and then, you know, it being on the service, I guess, forever, <laughs> that that would be a huge get. And, like, obviously, I believe Apple in America, uh, Apple TV, it does, like, baseball games and some football um, and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it wouldn't... Yeah, if that's what if they, that's what they're kind of trialing out with a lot of these kind of events, that makes sense. But also, if they want to push that kind of stuff, especially, like you said their first 24-hour thing is so it's such a massive thing. So if you have something that's a live thing that everybody can do at the exact same time, uh, everybody around the world could be live tweeting about it at the same moment. Um, yeah, it makes sense. And really, I think we'd lo- really like them for, to do a lot of award shows. <laughs> All of our favorite award shows, we'd probably prefer them to be on Netflix because they won't have, you know, ads or cut speeches or, you know, there's no time restrictions and that kind of stuff. So... Uh, yeah, this seems like an interesting move uh, going forward. So, yeah, that's kind of the only thing I want to touch on. The other thing that just came to mind, rumors bringing around all over the world, WWE is up for sale. What did you think about, obviously, Vince McMahon coming back to WWE, apparently to facilitate a sale of the company? Oh, I, the report that he's selling it is like, concrete that's the like he's he's 100% selling it that part's not really up for debate um the who is the 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 question in the room um i i don't know i think i think the i don't really have to the the fact that he disappeared for how long and now the reports are coming out that he he literally just basically settled a hash money the person the last person who was accusing him of any of these sexual assaults and whatever else he hush moneyed someone and then he comes out of hiding and he's like i'm gonna sell it and i'm gonna i don't know i i don't don't feel like there's anything good the only only good that comes out of this is for shareholders as far as is there any good that comes out any of this for the talent and the audience no i feel like there's only negative things that happens for talent and audience yeah i mean it's good in that vince mcmahon won't have any more holding in the company i guess if they sell it, that's positive. Uh, it's also a positive that the rumors that they saw, was going to sell it to Saudi Arabia were shot down. Uh, I believe Nick Khan came out in interviews and said that's definitely not happening mm. or wasn't happening. Um, and apparently the front runner is Comcast is the bookie's favorite for who they're going to sell the company to, uh, which makes sense because they've already got that deal with MC uh, with Peacock in America. Um, but yeah. It's, it's interesting. There could be a day where the McMahons don't own WWE anymore. Mm. So, craziness. Uh, let's move into our annual tracked year in review. So, of course, we go, we here at the Explosion Network choose to use the excellent service Tracked to keep track of all our TV and film viewings. Uh, shout out to the team of Tracked who had a massive... Uh, data breach or database failure uh back in november wasn't a breach it was just a it was like a our data wasn't stolen it was no no no, not breach but like a failure in the database or whatever yeah uh a server crash or something uh and we're able to recover a lot of the missing data and get themselves back up uh yeah yeah tracked if you want to sponsor us if you want to send us a (laughs) t-shirt say this every year please you know probably just you know so yeah uh If you're a VIP member of Tracked, you're able to view your year in review stats, uh, giving your full stats for the entire year. Uh, so yeah. Dylan, how about we start off with, what was your first play of 2022? 
I have some boring answers to a lot of these, unfortunately. I'm sorry. But yes. my first play of 2022. Number was... one request. Please let us separate sports entertainment or specials yeah. from the let categories me, let me put in. Let me put AEW in the category of sport and move it out of like normal TV shows. Like, let well, let me it... filter the end yeah. results in some way. Yeah, something yes. like that. So it's sort of annoying, but it's most... first play 2022 was All Elite Wrestling Rampage at uh 2 p.m on january 1st my first play of 2022 was station 11 episode one wheel of fire uh january 1st 3 31 p.m a series that i watched two episodes of and did not go back to but i feel like i really should because i've seen a lot of people continue to praise it in the time since dylan in 2022 how many hours did you watch and how many shows so in 2022 i watched 555 hours for 85 TV shows. Okay. So in 2022, I watched 686 hours of 121 TV shows. That's up. It does add up. You always beat me in the TVs. Yeah. So how many, what's the breakdown of hours and plays per day? So per month, 46.2 hours. Per week, 10.5, which boils down to 1.5 uh, per day um, hours. Yep, so I had 57.2 hours per month, which is 12.9 hours per week, which is 1.9 hours per day. Uh, yeah. Alright, so what were your m- top 10 most played shows 2022? Yeah, annoyingly, the top end of this is fucked. Um, number 10, <laughs> Better Call Soul, 13 plays, a total of 11 hours, 33 minutes. Uh, number 9, being the elite, 14 plays, 4 hours, 12 minutes total. Number 8. Did they only put out 14 episodes last year? No, I just didn't watch many. So it's just, yeah. um, number 8, Ozark, 14 plays, 14 hours watched. Number 7, Russian Doll, 15 plays, 7 hours, 4 minutes total. Number 6, Lego Masters Australia, 17 plays, 19 hours, 39 minutes watched. Number 5, Abbott Elementary. 20 plays, 7 hours, 20 minutes. Number 4, 26 plays of Superstore for 9 hours and 7 minutes. Number 3, Ola Re- Wrestling Rampage, 54 <laughs> plays, 1 day, 23 hours, 39 minutes. Number 2, Ola Re- Ola Elite Wrestling Dynamite, 54 plays for 3 days, 8 hours and 50 minutes. She's shaking her head because she thought that was going to be number 1, right? Of course, yeah. yeah. Number 1. Pokemon, 65 <laughs> plays for a total of one day, 55 minutes. All right. It's <laughs> cool. All right. My list. Number 10, American Vandal, 16 plays, nine hours, four minutes. Number nine, Young Rock, 18 plays, six hours, 36 minutes. Number eight, Welcome to Wrexham, 18 plays, eight hours, 27 minutes. Number seven is The Flash, 18 plays, 13 hours, 12 minutes. Number six, Abbott Elementary, 23 plays, 8 hours, 26 minutes. Number five is Ranking of Kings, 23 plays, 8 hours, 49 minutes. Uh, number four is Oeishi, uh, 24 plays, 9 hours, 36 minutes. Number three, Star Trek Lower Decks, 30 plays, 12 hours, 37 minutes. Number two, The Neighborhood, 92 plays. One day, nine hours, 42 minutes. What the fuck is the neighborhood? 
So that's the the Cedric the Entertainer comedy. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna be talking about this. Yes. My number one. <laughs> yep, there you go. Modern Family. Yeah. Two hundred and fifty plays. Jesus. Four days, eight hours, ten minutes. Towards the end of the year, it became. I suddenly got the urge to watch. Yeah, I saw. And I, I you know, I just powered through. Yeah, I saw. All eleven saw. seasons. Yeah, I don't worry, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what were your top five documentaries of TV shows? Sorry. So, documentaries, they've got percentage underneath. Documentary TV. Oh, did, uh, no, like uh, genres. Oh, genres, right. What were your top te- five genres of... Okay, that makes sense. I was like, what the fuck? Are you-? I, was, I was like, I have no <laughs> idea. I don't know how you're finding this. Um, my number one was drama, 34 shows. Number two was science fiction, 24 shows. Number three was, I guess, tied, but fantasy, 24 shows. Then we had comedy with 20 shows, and then adventure, 19 shows. Okay, my top five. Comedy with 43 shows. Drama with 39 shows. Science fiction with 33 shows, fantasy with 33 shows, and documentary with 32 shows. Uh, what was your highest network? What was the biggest yeah, network? Netflix by far. Netflix as well, yeah. 36. All right. What were your hours in movies that you watched? In, in 2022, I watched 460 hours of 234 movies. I really thought I had a chance this year. <laughs> Every year, I saw, I just smash you. <laughs> Give me your number. 306 hours, 170 movies. Yeah, come on, get on that level. I mean, <laughs> that's still pretty competitive. So that, <laughs> on my end, that's 25.5 hours per month, 5.8 hours per uh, a week, which equates to 1 point, uh, 0.8 hours per day. Uh, so 38.4 per month. 8.7 per week, 1.3 per day. Yeah. Uh, so most watch movies, do you want to give you a top 10? I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of crossover. <laughs> oh, there's annoyingly, yeah, there's still some ones in here. I wish, like, oh, even yeah. with my, them counting the wrestling pay-per-views, like, obviously, I'd, that's only, like, what, a handful, like, maybe, like, it would bring it down to, like, what, mm. fucking 220-something movies. But anyway. Um, number 10, New Japan Wrestling, Wrestle Kingdom 16, Night 2, four hours, one play. Number nine, New Japan Wrestle Kingdom 16 Night 1. Four hours, one play. Number eight, WWE WrestleMania 38 Saturday. Four hours, five minutes, one play. Number seven, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King Extended. Four hours, ten minutes, one play. Number six, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Four hours, twelve minutes, two plays. Number five, nope. Four hours, twenty minutes, two plays. Number four, Top Gun Maverick. Four hours, 22 minutes, two players. Number three, AEW Double or Nothing. Four hours, 40 minutes, one play. Number two, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Four hours, 40 minutes, two players. And number one, The Batman. Five hours, 54 minutes for two players. All right. My number 10, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Two hours, 42 minutes, one play. Number nine, The Dark Knight Rises. Two hours, 45 minutes, one play. Number eight, The Hobbit Unexpected Journey, two hours and 49 minutes, one play. Number seven, The Batman, two hours, 57 minutes, one play. Number six, Avatar The Way of Water, three hours, 12 minutes, one play. Number five, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring Extended, three hours, 28 minutes, one play. 
Number four, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, extended. Three hours, 43 minutes, one play. Number three, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, extended. Four hours, 10 minutes, one play. Number two, Top Gun Maverick, four hours, 22 minutes, two plays. Number one, the best movie of 2022, Everything Everywhere All at Once, four hours, 40 minutes, two plays. (laughs) Uh, Dylan, what were your top five genres? movies my top five genres were 70 action movies 69 nice thrillers 68 drama movies 65 comedy films and 57 horror movies well how many thrillers overall did you watch 69 were they all nice oh yeah i don't know they're all nice (laughs) all All right uh mine were 63 for comedies uh 54 action movies, 41 drama movies, 40 adventure movies, and 35 science fiction movies. Dylan, who were your top five most watched people in 2022? Uh, my most watched people? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Did you say top five? You ready for this? Yeah, top five. Yeah. Darren Matthews. Do you know who that is? No idea. Also known as William Regal. Oh. <laughs> Number four, Jonathan Good. Do you know who that is? No. Also known as John Moxley. <laughs> Number three. Sorry, I forgot to say how many, how many things. It doesn't matter. Fuck it. Number three, Matthew Macy Jr. Do you know who that is? Is that Jungle Boy? Nope. Matt Jackson. Oh. Number two, Nicholas Lee Macy. Do you know who that is? Uh, Luciosaurus. Nick Jackson. <laughs> Number one, Chris Irvine. Do you know who that is? Oh, that's uh, Chris Jericho. That's Chris Jericho. That's right. My top five are all wrestlers. Sorry. Do you want action? Please no, fix this track. Yeah, I know. It's annoying. We go through this every year. So I should almost see if- My top five. <laughs> people below that. Like, who are the bottom five? Let's see if there's non-wrestling people here. Nope. It's- uh, Yeah. No, never mind. You go. It's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> <My> number five. <laughs> Liam Neeson with four movies and two shows. Number four is Ian McKellen with six movies. Number three is Chris Pratt with six movies. Number two is Vin Diesel with six movies. And number one is Fred Tazascori with five movies, two shows. She's a voice actor. Dylan, who are your top five most watched actresses? I actually have one real... I mean, one real... Yeah? Actual non-wrestling answer. Uh, number five, Anna Marie Jernigan. Do you know who that is? Anna J. Correct. Number four, Tony Rossile. Rossile. Russell. Who do you recognize this? Tony Storm. Yeah. Number... Oh, fuck. I'm going to direction. Hold on. Went down. Uh, number... What the fuck was I? Number three. Sorry. Number three, My Rudolph. That's that's my riddle. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? But yeah, okay. Uh, number two, Brittany Baker. Do you know who that is? I feel like it's probably Britt Baker. It's probably Britt Baker, yeah. Number <laughs> one, Tainaro Mello. Do you know who that is? No. Yeah, cool. It's Tay Mello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that might be uh, My top five. Number five, Stephanie Beatrice. Four shows. Number four is Kimia Biporina. Four shows. 
number three is Terry Douglas, five shows. Number two is Ali Wong, three movies, two shows. And my number one, my Rudolph. One movie, six shows. Uh, who are your most watched direct top five most watched directors? Uh, so number five, Paris Barclay, two two shows, uh, directed episodes of um, fuck, uh, the Watcher and fuck, uh, what's other thing? Da- uh, Dharma or well, no? What's what's his name? What the fuck's it? the serial killer dude? Yeah, what Dharma. Are, Dharma. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number four, uh, Christopher Nolan for three movies. Uh, fuck, I went the wrong direction again. Hold on. Um, number three, Colin Trevorrow for three movies. Number two, Peter Jackson for five movies. And then number one, Christian Lepore for three movies. Uh, director of the Groot specials. Hmm, interesting. I feel like this is actually wrong, but, uh, or one of them is wrong. Uh, number five is Beth McCarthy Miller, uh, who did a bunch of TV show, sitcom TV shows. Uh, Ken Whittingham, who did also a bunch of sitcom TV shows. Number three is Steven Spielberg. Number two is Kristen Lepore. Number one, Peter Jackson, five movies, but it should be six. I don't know why it isn't. Yeah. Uh, who are your top five most watched writers? The Nicholas uh, Pryor segment. Why is it the the honorary Nicholas Pryor segment. Because he requested they add writers to this category. That's true, and they did. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Yeah. so. Uh, Number five, Bob Kane. Six movies. Number four, George Lucas. Two movies, four shows. Number three, J.R.R. Tolkien. Five movies, one show. Number two, Stan Lee. Six movies, one show. Number one, Michael Crichton. For eight movies, one show. Interesting. Mine is... Number five, J.R. Tolkien for five movies, one show. Stan Lee at number four with five movies, one show. Michael Crichton at number three with seven movies. Uh, George Lucas, number two with two movies, five shows. And Bob Kane with nine movies. So, yeah. And what was your last play of 2022? Very boring answer. It was the AEW (laughs) Rampage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And my final movie was Confess Fletch, which I talked about earlier. All right, that's our tracked year in review. Wow. Uh, yeah, tracks separate the WWE stuff. AEW. Yeah. Also, I think the right with the writing category maybe separate it to the actual people who wrote the screenplay. Or, you know, as much as I appreciate Bob Kane and Stanley. Yeah, you know? just not separ- take out people who it's just uh, uh, based upon the works of or whatever, like any of that sort of. Stuff. Yeah, there needs to be some fine tuning down there. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to? Uh, so it, I got high rated. Well, even like a, like I, I said, like, they should maybe do, like separate the t- directors to film and TV, separate ones. Yeah. Um, because I actually rate stuff on track. I can say so my highest rated movies on track were, um, they were all nines. So the nines I've got how many is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine. Yeah, so ten. They give me time thing. Ten things I gave nines to. Ronald Dahl's Matilda the Musical, Glass Onion, and Knives Out Mystery. Guns of Galaxy Holiday Special, AEW Full Gear, All Quiet on the Western Front, or City of Zed, The Santa Claus, The Northman, Top Gun Maverick, and The Unbearable Way to Master Talent. Do I think all those things are nines? I round up. <laughs> There's no halves on track, so. Okay. I just, I'm, a, I'm a lot loosey goosey, but anyway, they're the things I go. Awesome. All right. 
let's give some thumbs to some trailers. Of course, you can find all the trailers we're going to talk about today in the show notes below. And there were a lot of trailers since we last recorded, but I picked the top five most important trailers uh, of the past month. Uh, let's kick things off. Bo is Afraid, directed by Ari Aster. Uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Nathan Lane, Patty Lapone, Amy Ryan, Kylie Rogers, Parker Posey, Steve McKinley Henderson, Kaylee Swires, Michael Gandolfini, Zoe Lister-Jones, and Richard Kind. A paranoid man embarks on an epic odyssey to get home to his mother. Dylan, what did you think of trailer of Bo is Afraid? Uh, double thumbs up. It's absolute insanity. I have no idea what this movie is about. I don't understand if it's actually a horror movie or if it's not. People still don't know. I don't know if it's a comedy or not. I don't know if it's a weird drama or not. I don't know what this movie is, but the trailer is like, it makes you want to watch it. Makes you go, what the fuck is this? Like, this is just a weird, like, it's just Joaquin Phoenix. And at one point, it looks like he's wandering through the yellow brick road and whatever else is going on. So. Yeah, I mean, it's from Ari Aster, of course, director of Hereditary and um, Midsummer. So you got the pedigree here, and apparently the original version of this movie was like fucking four hours long, five hours, I don't know, some ridiculous length. Um, I'm highly intrigued. It's definitely one of the movies I'm looking forward to most in the year because of the director and the writer. But um, and I'm giving the trailer double thumbs up because it's 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 an entertaining trailer. But I have no idea what this movie is about. Uh, yeah, I'm also giving two thumbs up because it is a wild trailer. <laughs> like, so many weird things are happening. And is that kid an actual kid or is it a... a like, they, they de-age Walking Phoenix as far Pinterest as they could possibly him. de-age him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have no idea what's happening at all. Like, uh, it looks like Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan are have doing some sort of misery situation at one point. Mm. The, like, ankle bracelet and they're holding him in their house and, like... Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, from there, I have no idea what's happening. You know? yep. He does get hit by a car. Uh, so maybe he's dead the entire time. Could be. It was, uh, it, I think the film was rumored to be called Disappointment Boulevard for a long time. Yep. And was meant to come out last year. Uh, but of course, then it was five hours long. So, I mean, they had to cut. The, that's a lot of cutting. Uh, so, yeah, this is a two thumbs up from me. So, this is coming to Australian cinemas on... 20th of April, 2023. Next trailer. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Directed by Kelly Freeman Craig. Starring Abby Ryder Forston, Rachel McAdams, Benny Safdie, and Kathy Bates. When her family moves from the city to the suburbs, 11-year-old Margaret navigates new friends' feelings at the beginning of adolescence. Dylan, what did you think of trailer for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Um, I'm going one on one down. I don't know. So what's the beloved book? It's the title of the film. So that's a beloved book. It's I've an American heard of it. thing, yeah. Never heard of the book. If it's an American thing, cool. But yeah, the, so I'm going one up, one down. It's like La La Crocodile is based on a beloved book. But never heard none of us here have ever yeah, heard, heard of it. Because half the trailer, I swear, is from the beloved book. It finally comes to cinemas. After all this time, I'm like, cool, never heard of it. But anyway, once we actually get in the trailer, I was like, yeah, this just seems like a, could be a charming coming of age story. Like, that's the, the you know, like that's, I, I, I could be down for this, but yeah, um, a lot of trailer focuses, I guess, on targeting it towards people who know the source material. So I was a bit like, mm. yeah. So one up, one down. Uh, yeah, this is one up, one down for me as well. But I'm, I'm my down is because they put the they put introducing Abby, Rider Forsyth, when she's already been in two massive Marvel movies. Like, come on, you're not introducing anybody. 
Um, I'm all, I am tempted to give it double thumbs down because I didn't get enough Benny, Benny Safety in the trailer. So, I mean, there's also that. Yeah, there's like one segment one where he burned himself on a tan yeah, lawnmower. Or I, need I need more. I don't know. But yeah, I thought it, it was charming, more, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot there to make it a fun coming of age film. Uh, so, yeah. This is coming. Oh, no. This does not have an Australian release date, but is released in the US on the 28th of April. Next trailer, and taking it in a completely different tone, Evil Dead Rise, directed by Lee Cronin, starring Lily Sullivan, Alyssa Sutherland, Morgan Davies, Gabrielle Eccles, and Nell Fisher. A road-weary Beth pays an overdue visit to her older sister Ellie, who is raising three kids of her on her own in a cramped LA apartment. The sisters' reunion is cut short by the discovery of a mysterious book deep in the bowels of Ellie's building, giving rise to flesh-possessing demons and thrusting Beth into a primal battle for survival as she is faced with the most nightmarish version of motherhood imaginable. Dylan, what did you think of the trailer for Evil Dead Rise? I don't look absolutely. This is the red band one that we watched as well. I guess. Yeah, red. Ba- the, the, there's a mo- there's a there's a moment here where someone's. There's about a to, very uh, graphic scalping that happens. In this <laughs> yeah. Trailer. There's also a, a fucking part with a uh, cheese grater that I can't wait to see more of. Um, <laughs> your face. Um, yeah. This this looks very good. This looks like so. Evil Dead has. It's. I'm gonna be interested to watch it because the thing is like so. Evil Dead was always like graphic. But then the original, like the original movie was more serious, but then obviously Evil Dead 2 and 3 were uh, both like very Evil violent Richie, yeah. while also being like involving more of the comedy. And then the, the, the original remake that they put out was like just 100% committed to being like fucked up violent. So this seems to be more in tone with that, which is fine. Yeah. Um, I'm down. It looks like taking it away from the cabin setting. Think fuck. I'll sort of like that's putting it in like sort of claustrophobic apartment setting. I think it's very smart. Um, and fitting as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of the same as a little butt fuck yeah. where um cabin. Um cramped. <laughs> I thought yeah, I thought it looked really good. It looks like there's some inventive fucked up kills and s- stuff happening in here, so um that's really good. The the mother, just like that part where she's like, Mummy's here or whatever. I was just like <laughs> looking, that's good shit. I love that. So yeah, I'm very keen to see this. Also I think it bodes well the fact that this was originally go straight originally gonna go straight to streaming and then um they've decided to put it in theaters like that's only a good sign, I think, yep. for the test audiences and like how they feel about the movie. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, this trailer is so graphic and scary that it gets two thumbs up from here because I do not want to watch this movie. And that's, oh. you know, that's what you hear, want to hear about a horror movie mm-hmm. that I have no desire whatsoever to see it. It's badger, badger confidence. Badger confidence, you know. That cheese grater, I mean. Yeah, how good. You don't see anything, but it's fucking scary. Yeah. And you, you, you know, you know what's about, like, you know what's about to happen a second later. Like, yeah, there's going to be f- grated flesh. Yep, that's <laughs> like, some grated flesh. No, no, thank you. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much they flesh it out. Obviously, you see the nem nem omicron. I want to say. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen an Evil Dead movie. So, uh, yeah, I'm. Evil Dead fans rejoice because yeah, it was meant to come to HBO Max. I want to say off the top of my head, I think it was HBO. But yeah, yeah so but now it is coming to Australian cinemas on the twentieth of April. Okay. Next trailer was for Renfield, directed by Chris McKay, starring Nicholas Holt, Nicholas Cage, Aquafina, Ben Schwartz, and Adrian Martinez. 
Count Dracula's lackey Renfield finds a new lease on life in modern-day New Orleans when he falls in love with a Rebecca Quincy, a traffic cop. So, what do you think of trailer for Renfield? Uh, double thumbs up. Looks very funny. Uh, Chris, uh, Nicholas Holt playing a vampire. I feel like he's nearly played everything. Like he's played a zombie. He's played a vampire now. Like he's played a crazy end of the world. Well, dude, Nicholas like, Holt uh, isn't a vampire. Oh, I mean. Isn't he though? Like he's a half vampire. He's a whatever. Like he's he's nearly a vampire. He's a familiar. He's a yeah, but he's got the power. So, um, I feel like he's nearly played every type of fantasy creature. But uh, Nicholas Cage playing Dracula, that's perfect. That's that's everything <laughs> I need in my life. He was born to do that. So, um, yeah, it looks very funny. Uh, Aquafina is again looks funny in this. I like the chemistry, the back and forth, and all that sort of stuff. The setup with the jokes about like the the self help group and. All that, like the way that plays off in the trailer, is very good. So, yeah, I'm going double thumbs up. Can't wait for this. I think it looks very good. Obviously, this is a horror movie. I would assume that Ash is okay with watching. Yeah, there's two thumbs up from me, and it does not look like a horror movie in any regard. <laughs> it was a horror. Comedy. I mean, it's got supernatural elements, but you know, I bet you it has some like violent kills, but it's still like funny. Like it'll have blood splattered I mean, everywhere, but you know, it's funny. I mean, he's going to be dragging innocent people, and you get yeah. their blood, but getting eaten by Dracula. So, I mean. Yeah, it's he's a, got that for it. Uh, yeah, I think Nicholas Holt is like kind of a perfect fit for this kind of thing. I've, I've seen, I've been seen to some division on this trailer. Like some people dislike the tone on what they're going for here, uh, but I enjoyed it. I think it looks like it'll be fun, dumb action, comedy. Uh, yeah, I mean he 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 does like sever somebody's arm with like a serving plate. So that's that's all a false. So, Renfield releases in Australian cinemas on 13th of April. Busy April coming up. Final trailer for this week. Scream 6. Directed by Matt Benton. Bentonelli Olfen and Tyler Gillette. Uh, starring Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy, Brown, Mason Gooding, Janet Ortega, Hayden Pansaneri, Courtney Cox, Dermot Mulroney, uh, Henry Zerny, Samara Weaving and Tony Tony Revolari. The survivors of the Ghostface killings leave Woodsboro behind and start a fresh chapter in New York City. Dylan, what do you think of the trailer for Scream 6? Double thumbs up. Can't bloody wait. Let's go. Um Can't believe like if the I if this looks good. Double thumbs up. Great trailer. But if this comes out, like, and it's actually as good as it looks and as good as the last one, like what a fucking like banger back to back years that the uh, radio silence as they're collectively known, I guess, uh, had like directing these two screen movies back to back. That's fucking what a what a what a thing. But yeah, I, I love because they released a teaser, obviously on the just on the the subway. But then this trailer, mm. like just the way it starts with them running in, because I guess they they get the question out of the way straight away. It's like, well, what is Ghostface? Is he just creeping around? Like, what's he doing? But having the trailer just straight up start with them running into what they assume to be a safe place, like because it's a public like uh, a Seven Eleven like or whatever. Um, yeah, and then just running in, then Ghostface just kills everyone there. It's like, okay, well, no, he's just he's going to kill you wherever the fuck you are. They the implying that nowhere's safe from the get go of the trailer. I guess mm. is a, a very good way to start the trailer. Um, I like seeing everyone in it. We get to see uh, Hayden Pantera for one second, which is good. Obviously, really looking forward to seeing uh, her return to the franchise. Um, yeah, I, I know. The, the the only thing I'd say slight negative would be the the implication of 
the constant reminding of um, something different and all that. I'm like, okay, this better have a good payoff or else I'm going to be sort of annoyed. Like if it's just, if you're going to make the tagline and everything like that, like I'm something different, I'm like, I'm something else. You've never seen one like me before and all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, you're just like, well, at the end of the movie, if he's just like any other ghost face killer, I'll be like, oh, let's let down. But yeah, double thumbs up. Can't wait. Yeah, this gets two thumbs up from me as well. As someone who's unfamiliar with the Scream lore, I feel like they definitely a shake up with obviously being in New York City makes it feel very different to the other ones. Um, yeah, and th- that whole collector element of someone who's been collecting all these memorabilia from all the ghosts. Well, that, that's, ghost a, that's an interesting thing. Is it like now we're going deep down a rabbit hole? And also, just to clarify, Scream 3 also is like set in Hollywood, so there's like a whole thing there. But okay. um, the. Scream, so it could be Scream, like memorabilia they've gathered from the or crime scene, stuff, yeah. or it could be stab stuff. That's the the thing. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it'll be the first one though. Yeah, no. that'd be more interesting. Uh, but yeah, uh, this looks good. I'm intrigued. Will I be seeing Scream Six? We'll see. We'll see yeah. how this year pans out. You will. Yeah. So this one is releasing. On the 9th of March in cinemas. So, yeah. Not far away. It's crazy. All right. Let's wrap up this extra, extra, extra long episode of What Do You Want to Watch with our What Do You Want to Watch top three. Definitely in the top three. Uh, This week, uh, Netflix dropped a full list of their slate of movies for 2023. At least most of them. There might be some hidden gems that they haven't like dropped yet or stuff they acquire during the year. Uh, But this is all the original films. Uh, that they've got planned or filmed or shooting already. Uh, so we're going to do our top three from this list. Uh, you can find it at Netflix to Darmore. I'll link it in the show notes below. So Dylan, what's your number three? My number three is the animated film, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Um, I really, really like the, the first Chicken Run movie. I watched that a lot as a kid. Um, has a soft spot in my heart, so maybe it's a little bit of nostalgia. I have no care, like, I don't give two fucks that um, Mel Gibson and um, Julia Sal, Sal, whatever her name is, aren't returning. It doesn't really bother me. That's fine. It's been ages. I can, like, I don't have, like, I can move on. As long as the new performances are fine, that's good. The rest of the cast is really, really good. You've got bloody Bella Ramsey in this, Zachary Levi, Fanny Newton, um, Newton, a bunch of other people, of course, some Australians in here as well, so that's good. Like, um, Considering the first one, obviously, Australian. Um, bunch of Australian actors were in it. So, yeah, I'm really keen. I don't really need to know much more. I don't even, obviously, I don't think there's a teaser trailer or a trailer for any of the movies I've picked. No. As far as I'm aware. So, um, I've gone for wild ones. But yeah, Chicken Run, Dawn Nugget. Maybe when I saw this pop up, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot they announced that. Like a while back, a year or two ago, whenever they announced they, they were making this. So, um, now I'm like, cool, I fucking get to watch Chicken Run at some stage this year. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> have to do with a chicken run we watch it's been a few years yep uh my number three is the animated film nimona this is the uh based on the graphic novels uh by nd stevenson uh it follows a shapeshifter who joins oh what's the description that netflix actually gave is this the chloe grace Moretz one is that different yes i think she's voices the then yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes. So she's a knight. A knight is framed for a crime he didn't commit, and the only person who can provide, prove his evidence 
can prove his innocence as Nomona, a shape-shifting teen who might also be a monster he's sworn to kill. Uh, so yeah, this is a project that was saved uh, from it uh, being cancelled by Disney, uh, now picked up by uh, Netflix. Mm. Uh, yeah, it looks really good. There's obviously a property that has a massive fan following. It looks really coolly animated. Uh, so that is one that I'm keen to check out later this year. Dylan, where's your number two? My number two is Rebel Moon, the upcoming Zack Snyder film, which he's basically is basically a reworked idea that he had for a Star Wars movie. Um, it's that part's intriguing to me, but also just Zack Snyder, like very hit and miss, I guess. But like when I like a Zack Snyder movie, like I'm I'm down for a, a good Zack Snyder movie. Like I'm I've admitted this a lot of times. Like I I like a lot of his things. I'm like I. More so than most people, I'm not part of his weird cult, but I do like his movies when they when they work. So, um, and his take on a Star Wars like universe and movie, um, that's also he's talked about it being like heavily inspired by uh, Seven Samurai and uh, all that sort of stuff. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm I'm fucking down. I think we're supposed to have a trailer releasing sometime soon. I think this week or a teaser trailer or something. So, um, I love the cast, of course, a lot of really good people in the cast here. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to learn more about this one. Hopefully, it's it's good. My number one is Rebel Moon, for all the reasons you just said. Uh, yeah, I think okay. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed, for the most part, the uh, what was it? Dawn? No, what Army of the Dead? Of the Army Dead. of the Dead? No, whatever. It I want to say but, yeah. um, that was enjoyable enough. Uh, but yeah, I think it's cool that he's doing some sort of new project. I think obviously clearly inspired by a pitch that he had to Star Wars. Uh, great cast, uh, the, and it's time slot being at the like December. It mm. seems like they that's like kind of their big slot. big blockbuster prestige period. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of bodes well as well. Uh, so what, Dylan? What's your number two? No, what's your number one? My number. Oh, we're fucking just gonna like. What's your sorry? Number I, one? I threw it out, but I have oh, a feeling fine. we might have the same one or two again. You reckon? My number two is David Fincher's number one, The Killer. My number two was David Fincher's killer. Yeah, sorry, my number one is David Fincher's killer. Yes. Your number two is David Fincher's killer. Fucking, that's crazy they worked out because there was like a bunch of stuff on that list. So. Um, yes. My reasons are it's a David Fincher movie about someone killing people. It's a David Fincher film starring Michael Fassbender mm. about an assassin yep. fighting against his bosses and shit. Yeah, based on a French graphic novel. That's all I need to know. Like, I mean, yeah. really, you could just left it. Uh, it's a David hey, Fincher. It's, it's David Fincher's new movie. I'm like, cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's enough to get me excited. <laughs> that's all. I, that's all I really need yeah. to know. So. All right. Well, that's our top three. Let us know your top three. <laughs> uh, Netflix movies are releasing in 2023. Uh, by going to explosion.com slash Twitter or jump to Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. Uh, if you want to help us out or what do you want to watch, if you're glad to have us back in 2023, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser uh, or, you know, write something nice on social media uh, or just tell people about the show. And if you've enjoyed this, I think it's record length episode of What Do You Want to Watch? I think it's worth a dollar. Head on over to our coach page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.